Tune in to the Neil Prendeville Show weekdays from 9 a.m. on Cork's Red FM. Front page of the Echo today and also the inside pages of the Mirror where the Gardaí and Cork are investigating a serious attack on a woman in her 20s as she walked home. This is becoming way too commonplace now, reporting of similar incidents like this. This is in the Evergreen Street area around half past 11 uh, last Saturday night. The guards have described the assault as particularly nasty. Now, the young woman... Um, was taken to Cork University Hospital by ambulance for treatment after she was punched several times during the attack. Half past 11 Saturday night. They're understood to have identified a suspect, a male juvenile from the area. And the woman, the young woman in her 20s, socialising in a pub in the area before it's understood she walked towards the Evergreen Street area on her way to get a lift home. And that's where she was targeted by the male understood to have attacked her from behind. Now, she did try to fight the thug off and she did scream and he fled on foot and people in the area then who were passing by intervened and came to her aid. That's um, an alarming story that makes uh, the papers this morning here on Leaside. Um, Many people who are sitting the leaving certificate probably are alarmed themselves because the traditional format leaving cert will take place this year. Mixed exam reaction, they say, in the front of the Echo today, with the star saying that the junior cycle exams will also take place for the first time since 2019. So junior cert back, traditional leaving cert back. The uh, Education Minister, Norma Foley, describes it as a tailor-made leaving certificate, whatever that means. It'll, it'll meet and recognise the challenges the students have faced in recent years. I don't know how you do that. Tailor make it. Make the questions easier, I suppose. And also, uh, the pension age makes the papers. And there's a big bit of a barney going on at the moment as to pension age because parts of government wants to increase it um, to 67 and then to 68 and, and so on and so forth. And up and up it will go. But there's a bit of a dilemma now because there's this ultimately very powerful Oireachtas committee who've recommended um, that uh, it should be left alone. The people, if they want to retire and uh, on the last day of their 65th year, turning 66, they should be able to get the pension. And it should not be, because the plan was to increase it pretty rapidly to 68. So people aged 66 and over, um, they're saying you can't reasonably expect people to be forced to continue to work after the age of 65 stroke 66, particularly in jobs that are very physical or where there's a lot of stress. Um, you know, a t- tough, tough jobs like that. So they're saying it's just not fair. There's a lot of numbers making the papers with regards to crime. And in fairness to the Garda Shikona, an awful lot of the crime figures and stats are actually down, well down. Unfortunately, things that are on the increase are not unlike the story from Evergreen Street this morning where sexual assault is up rape is up, child sexual abuse image and the distribution of child sexual abuse images, they're all up. Um, but the ones that are really rocketing are like things to do with fraud. And a lot of it, of course, is online crime. That's up 111%. Fraud offences, blackmail, extortion, things like that in this IT world that we live in. Um, you know, they're the types of crimes that are on the increase. Fraud, blackmail and extortion. There is uh, an incredibly brave and open story making the examiner this morning. It's the barrister Dirin O'Mahony who has described her life in quite some detail. Her life in the past, that is, where she was the subject of an abusive coercive partner and she says um, she has come through it she says in detail as to the type of life that she lived in those days being choked having her head slammed against a car window being punched in the forehead 
uh, thrown out of a car, being left to walk several miles home, having her mobile phone snapped in half, having her clothing and her handbags uh, torn, having a cushion placed over her face and pressed tightly against her mouth, making her fear for her life. And she's saying that the reason she's speaking out about her harrowing experience at the hands of a former partner is hopefully it will inspire other young women in similar positions to the position she found herself in before she took her power back, I suppose, uh, to seek help. So that's a front page and an inside page story from Owen English in the Examiner today. Um, Generation rent um, is a term that's used a lot now. But we also have, of course, a generation of young people who are locked out of the property market. So that's broken down in quite some detail in the mail this morning. I won't go into much detail of it now because we'll be returning to it again a little later on this morning. Um, but one of the other things, of course, is to do with work and wages. I often wonder why people, when they put up job adverts, for instance, and they're looking for staff, why, didn't, why don't they put the salary down? Why don't you tell people what you're going to pay. I mean, very few people do it, I think. But it would make a huge difference with regards to, firstly, we kind of know what everybody is, 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 is pitching with regards to the workforce. Secondly, of course, people would, wouldn't be bothered chasing down jobs that are badly paid, you know, going through an interview process and then finding out that the money is crap. But they're also looking at bringing something like 70, maybe 60 or 70,000 workers in from overseas. Now, we had to do this during the boom when there was an incredible shortage of workers, not just in hospitality, but in construction as well. So they're thinking this is going to have to happen again. And they're going to have some kind of a plan now to entice foreign workers to come back to Ireland or to come to Ireland for the first time because there's an unmerciful shortage. And one publican in The Sun this morning is saying that unless he can get a handle um, on worker shortages uh, and soaring food prices and, of course, soaring drink prices, he says he's going to have to wallop customers with a 70% hike on the price of a pint. You do that, pal, and you'll be looking at your front door and wondering why nobody's coming in. But I guess where he's coming from. A lot of it is to do, of course, with soaring prices and no staff. Finbar O'Connor, the um, managing director of O'Connor Brothers Funeral Homes, uh, makes the examiner as well today. And only English has been a busy man over the past couple of days because um, the story goes that Finbar O'Connor is saying that he's very concerned about some of the old-fashioned traditions regarding funerals, that we don't really engage in them or we don't respect them anymore. You know, like pausing um, or giving way to a hearse and a cortege when it's passing the hearse, then you'd have the maybe first car, and perhaps maybe a second car, and then the mourners in their own cars behind them. It's not happening so much. And he says he's noticed a decline in recent years uh, of the traditions of people pausing on the footpaths or stopping their cars at junctions while a funeral cortege passes. And there's some examples in the examiner this morning. One was like a motorist who came through a roundabout and caught up the cortege. Another one was a taxi driver who pulled in between the hearse and the family member's car. And the third then was a a motorist who cut into the line of the mourner's cars behind the hearse and kind of stayed there and honked his horn repeatedly, urging the hearse and the mourners to drive faster. What kind of a clueless dick is that? But anyway, I'll come back to that a little later on this morning because I think it might be very different in rural areas as opposed to maybe in suburban areas and cities. But there is a, an interesting one that makes this morning's independent. And that is, uh, this is um, a family who are suing a travel agency because the little boy, uh, his head uh, was hit by the overhead fan in the apart hotel they were staying in 
the family holiday in Tenerife in 2015. So the dad picked up his son, who was almost three years old at the time because he was crying. Now, the dad is six foot three tall, six foot three in height. He picked up the boy to comfort him. But the metal blade of the fan, um, which was six foot nine from the floor to the ceiling, struck the boy in the ear. I don't know how the dad lifted up the umfla now, the little baby, but the fan hit him anyway. And he needed to have three uh, sutures to the back of his ear. Apparently, the dad also said that on previous occasions in the room, he'd been hit a couple of times by the fan as well when he was taken off his T-shirt. So he is very tall and saying that the fan is too low. The judge hasn't ruled on that yet, but he says he'll give his decision as soon as possible. It'll be interesting to see how the judge will, will rule on that one. And then there's another one, which is more to do with um, uh, unfair dismissals or discrimination in the workplace. This is a factory worker. She was fired because she refused to work on a vegetable production line because of a reaction to handling onions. This is in Bear in County Offaly, a vegetable processing plant. She said that she couldn't handle onions because of a reaction. I suppose she broke out in a rash or whatever. Some of us kind of weep, you know. People say you should put a, a teaspoon into your mouth when you're peeling or chopping onions. No, whether that works or not. But you know that we come up with these things. Anyway, she got a reaction on her hands, so she refused to do it. So they fired her. And of course, it went to an unfair dismissals hearing. And it was settled on yesterday with the Workplace Relations Committee. And she got 30,000 euro um, because she couldn't work with, with the onions and got fired because of it. And then wouldn't it be a wonderful thing if we reached a world where one charger did every single thing? Apple are notorious for this, aren't they? They keep changing their chargers. I mean, there should be a rule passed somewhere in the world where same charger, all phones, same charger. Wouldn't it be great if all electrical appliances will soon reach a time where there will be no cables needed and the faster we get to that, the better. And you know the row between Aldi's Cuthbert the Caterpillar cake and Colin the Caterpillar in Marks and Spencer. Well, apparently the Marks and Spencer one is the original, Colin the Caterpillar. And they took on Aldi when Aldi came out with Cuthbert the Caterpillar. I'd say there's very little difference between the two in taste. It's finally been settled. Don't know how it was settled. It was in the high court. They won't release anything because it's confidential. M&S launched a lawsuit against Aldi in April. Cuthbert took on Colin. Uh, some kind of a settlement now allows Cuthbert to live and to hang out on the shelves and for everybody to eat them. You have a choice between Cuthbert and uh, Colin. The Baldy Barber in Blackpool, 85 years in business. So come back to that a little later on this morning. His dad, of course, before him and uh, the Baldy Barber was a trainee in his dad's barber shop upstairs in Merchants Key. I remember it well. 85 years since his dad first opened the business on Merchants Key. And when we were very small, we were going for our, our haircuts as a smallie. That's where we went into Moriarty's on Merchants Key. But you were so small that Mr. Moriarty used to have this plank of wood and he'd put it across the two armrests of the chair. And you'd sit, you'd sit up onto the plank of wood because you'd be too small for the chair. I remember that like as if it was yesterday. And talking about age, there's hope for me yet, you know. There's a broadcaster, an Irish radio DJ in the UK who's still broadcasting at the age of 91 on hospital radio every Wednesday and Thursday from 9am to midday. And he's flying the age of 91. Fair play to you, Patrick. He's keeping the flag flying. But this one I saved to last because I can tell you one thing. This question will engage every single one of you. I guarantee you when I ask this, all of you will have an answer. You really will. You might have to think about it for a little while, but you will think about it. There's a story in the papers this morning 
Victoria and David Beckham. And he talks about the fact that she, for 25 years, has, it, has eaten the same meal every single day, right? Every day she eats grilled fish and steamed vegetables. Doesn't say what kind of fish, don't know what it is. Let's assume that it's a bit of maybe hake or something, maybe place, I don't know. So it's the same meal. She never shares his food. They never do anything like that. She just has grilled fish and steamed vegetable. His favorite food, he says, is gammon, you know, the gammon ham, fried egg, pineapple, for God's sake, and chips, and maybe some garden peas on the side. He says he'd eat that every day. So if you had to pick a meal, and here's your question, if you had to pick a meal that you would eat every single day, had to eat, could only eat, the same meal every single day for 25 years. What would it be? See, I told you you'd have an answer. I told you that the head would be thinking about it. Text 0868104106. What would it be? The Neil Prenderville Show. With Tesco Home Delivery. Extra delivery slots now open across Cork. Book today at tesco.ie. All right, I've always been asking people around the building here. I was just chatting with Rory about it at the handover there at 9 o'clock. And he said, buffalo chicken wings with the blue cheese dip. Every day he'd eat it for 25 years. So what about you guys? You're probably wondering. Everybody was asking. Everybody was asking. What's mine? I'll tell you in a few minutes' time. Didn't get to this yesterday, right? But the Russians are coming, and there's a couple of the big naval vessels are already off the southwest coast. They came in a bit early. The war games start tomorrow. Seamus Whelan was out on the streets of Cork. We didn't get to this yesterday because we ran out of time. So he was on the streets of Cork asking yesterday, are you okay with that? I mean, you know, should we, should we be worried? And uh, where would be good for them to let their hair down if they decided to come ashore? down west from Russia with love well it wouldn't be in the slightest bit worried about it um, the, 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 the Russians are not going to be invading Ireland there's no there's not a, a, a remote chance of that you know and the Atlantic is a big ocean and it's, America doesn't own it, you know, so if the Russians want to uh, yeah. do exercises there, um, you know, it's an open sea as far as I'm concerned. After their war games, they'll obviously need to let their hair down and, and there's nothing really in Kerry, so is there anything in Cork that they could go to? Because I know Gorby's is closed. Well. Uh, I don't know whether the prices are charging to get into Gorby's now. I don't know if they'd be uh, able to afford it or not. And is there anywhere else you'd recommend? Uh, possibly Madeleine's. <laughs> I'm not sure if the Russians would be too much in love with Gorby. Uh, but, uh, I mean, uh, if Russians come to Ireland, just like we go to Moscow, do you want to see Irish pubs? Not Russian pubs. <laughs> did they say that? Did they actually say that they were going to uh, that they were going to stop off for uh, coffee and sandwiches in Cork? Well, no, but like the opportunity is there if they're only 240 miles off the coast. Yeah, well, let them, let them do a great boost for it all. Probably be as good as the, uh, the jazz festival. Ireland has always been a neutral country, and I don't think we uh, we we're at odds on the international stage very much, you know. I think we're pretty pretty safe in Cork anyway, you know. I'm just wondering, like, there's not much in Kerry really to be, just scenery, but like, 
we don't, we don't have to come into Cork is there anything to, to <laughs> offer a, ru- a, a, a Russian mariner a night in the brogue maybe yeah, like, a night in like the I, think, the old I think a few a few Cork lads might be able to stop the international situation you know show the Russians a good time and a few lads go to Akmer yeah they'll kind of chill him out like I think so I wouldn't be too worried about it I don't think I think we've got we, we've half got rid of them I wouldn't be too familiar on the subject now to be honest but all I know is that our defence forces definitely aren't up to scratch but like while they're out there and they're doing their military games for a few days they might as well come in for a, for a break is there anywhere in Cork that you'd recommend them to go? Bishop Lucy Park <laughs> <laughs> a whole different ecosystem but I, I'd be stumped now I wouldn't know what they're into yeah, yeah it's a fair distance they're in international waters that type of yeah. stuff happens all the time Nothing to be worried about, I'd say. Do you think life would be better under them? Under the Russians? If they came in? I don't think so, no. no. Why not? I doubt it. Communist, communist rule? Uh, no, I think history showed us that that doesn't work. I would say I'm myself Russian. That's coincidence. I would say don't come close, you know, to... <laughs> because I'm here, now it's my territory. They should be more afraid of our, um, of our fishermen rather than us of them, should they? I think, yeah, because your fishermen, you know, they are not not usual fishermen. They are more brave, you know, than... I myself fish, was fishing for four years here in, 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 in Ireland, in Castletown there. So I know fisher, in, fisher, fisher, what it is, you know, life of the fishermen in this uh, uh, fishing on the boats and living that life. So fishermen are brave, you know, to go in the open ocean, to live, to live that dangerous life, to bring, you know, to table, uh, food on your table. Once the, the war games are over, like, the, there is an opportunity for them to come to Cork, isn't there? And you as a Russian yourself, where's the best place to, to go? I would say the best place to go, I like... It would be Oliver Plunkett, uh, that uh, restaurant pub, like, you know, I like that place. So I would say I will meet them there. From Russia with love. I suppose if they do decide to land somewhere down West Cork, the local pubs will have to load up on the vodka or the vodski. Back after the break. Text the Neil Prenderville Show now. 086-8104-106. Red FM. Can I just acknowledge, please, even though I'm acknowledging to people who probably can't hear me, that we don't have uh, any online this morning. People can't hear me online and the app is down as well. I see a lot of texts coming in on that and I'm even getting on my own phone. There's some sort of technical problems. Hopefully they'll be sorted. ASAP. So um, that's the deal there. Sorry about that. Um, oh, and also, can I also just say um, that uh, we got a response. We were talking yesterday uh, about a woman who got a 150 euro fine from City Hall because the bin lid was not down perfectly on top of the body of the bin. And then she was told that the fine was going from 150 to 200 euro and then she wouldn't pay that. She appealed it. They refused it. She's in court in February the 23rd, actually. We'll be keeping an eye on that one. And she's also being told by City Council that if she goes to court uh, and loses, that she'll have to pay their legal fees as well. She's not interested in that. She's going to court. And if she does lose, she says she won't pay and she'll go to jail because the bin lid did not perfectly drop down onto the body of the bin. I mean, in all fairness. I was contacted, though. um, Please not. I won't be sharing the details. Uh, from somebody within the cleansing department at Cork City Council. And the uh, email says, I am a litter warden in Cork. Please do not give out my details. 
I have to tell you that we are being forced to go out and do this by the hierarchy of city council. It's a joke. We are being forced to find people who leave their bins on the footpath when they do not have a facility to store their bins. Sometimes you don't in terraced houses. You just don't have the space. The litter wardens get slated for being over the top. But if we don't do it, we get disciplinary action. The hierarchy drives around, you see, takes photographs and then tells us to go out and issue these fines. Instead of helping people, we are being forced to find them. And that's from a litter warden. So we know a little bit more now of what goes on. The hierarchy, I don't know, is that the suits or what? Uh, drive around Cork, city, suburbs, whatever, taking photographs of people's bins or infringements. Might be a bin left on a footpath or stored outdoors. It might be a bin where the lid isn't down on the body. Taking photographs, then getting on to the litter wardens and saying, go out and issue fines. I mean, to say that that's OTT and the litter warden does is an understatement. So thank you for that. Um, we'll be coming back to that. There were texts on as well. I'm listening about the bin fine. It's a disgrace. And the amount of rubbish outside Spring Lane is an example. And council truck taking it away free. I bet the little warden won't be going up there. Um, morning, if her bin wasn't closed, the contents could have blown out in the wind. This potentially causes litter, which none of us want. It was all bagged inside in the bin. It was all secured and tidy. There was a two-inch gap. Give me a break. I mean... For me now, you're trying to defend the indefensible. Um, I got the same fine, Neil. I was annoyed. But when I thought about it, I was actually more annoyed with myself for potentially causing a litter problem. Please don't pander to that lady. It's not unbelievable, as you suggest. Well, you don't think so? I do. I do. Uh, Neil, be careful with regards to pre-trial coverage. (laughs) You're right in that regard. You're spot on there. So thank you for that. Okay, I'll come back to that and lots more besides. You can text... 0868104106. So tell me, if you could only have one meal like Victoria Beckham for the next 25 years, what would it be? It can be anything, right? Seamus says it would be cotton chips with lashings of tartar sauce. Brenda says this would be cooked in the oven. Uh, a breast of chicken with cheese slapped between a bagel. So you'd have the breast of chicken with the melted cheese and a bagel. Same meal. Same thing every single day. And then I asked uh, Mark as well, he says, um, my one meal every day would be a takeaway curry, chicken buna, I'm probably pronouncing that wrong, am I? Boiled rice, Bombay potatoes and onion badgies from the Star of India in Leytonstone. Mouth watering as I type. And I treated myself to it on Sunday night while I was back there. <laughs> that, that's quite elaborate. That's quite elaborate. Um, There's a lot going on in that plate, but there you have it. For me, it would certainly be uh, my wife Paula's cheesy fish pie. It is the most incredible meal. I would have it every single day for 25 years. Either that or her puff pastry steak and mushroom pie. Maybe the steak and mushroom pie is a starter and the cheesy fish pie is a main course. But what about you guys? Text 0868104106. We'll come back to it. Imagine that. She eats steamed vegetables and grilled fish every single day. Seven days a week, 365 days a year. To the phone lines we go. Um, Everybody's talking about passport woes at this stage. It's dominating all of the radio stations and it's only going to get worse. Kate, good morning. Hi, Neil. How are you? And then you think we've heard it all before and new types of stories and new dilemmas come across my desk. What's happening with you? Um, so we applied for three of our son's passports in October 
and I received, we were to fly out to Disney on the 7th of January. Um, I received both two of their passports before this date on the first week of January, one being my nine-month-old and one being my six-year-old. Yeah. And never received one, which would be my five-year-old. So I contacted the passport office um, off the hook, couldn't get on some, kept ringing the phones, only to finally get through to say that they needed additional information. Why did they only so, need additional information for one and none of the others? Did you leave something out? I left. I had sent in um, a birth cert with stamps on it that shouldn't have been on it, and I needed an affidavit in which I didn't know that I needed. All right, so, okay. So yeah. I got all information, and I sent all information off the day that they had told me on the phone. They had said that they'd sent me an email, which they didn't. And while on the phone, I received the email. Oh, for God's so, sake. And what, what day was this when you needed the additional information? Um, it would have been, so we were to go on the 7th and it would have been the day I received Bobby. So it would have been the 6th. Um, of what? So the 6th of January. So why did October pass, November pass, December pass? This was the estimated Thre- issue date that I was given. But why didn't somebody within that three month period come back to you looking for the additional information? In three months? I don't know. Okay. I don't have a clue. Okay. And when I was on, the, while I was on the phone, some they had they kept telling me that I had received an email, in which I didn't. I received it while on the phone to them. Okay. So I got then obviously realizing we weren't going to be flying out the next morning. I had to change. Where were you time. going? Disneyland Paris. We Santa had brought them tickets to Disneyland Paris, thinking that we would be able to head off, but. Obviously, we were able to change um, the accommodation and the park tickets because Santa had given them them, but uh, purchasing the flights myself, we had to obviously change the flights and it cost us additional money. So we've changed them to this Friday, the 4th of February. And um, You can't leave a child behind, like... We basically can't go otherwise unless... I, I lose my money, obviously, on Friday if we don't go. We won't be going without him, so... And that's Friday, the flight to Paris? Yeah, Friday yeah. the 4th. This Friday. So I've tried everything. I contacted them this week. Actually, two weeks ago when I contacted them and I said that I had sent off the information, I wanted to know if they received it. Three weeks ago, sorry. And they said that they had received it and I got through to a lovely man. He said that there would be no issue. He'd be hoping to have it to me as soon as possible. And the day after, when I checked my update online, it said that um, my new issue, uh, my new estimated issue date was the 24th of March. Why do they say things so, like that if they can't 100% guarantee what they're saying is accurate? I don't know, to be honest. And then when... It's not fair I on people to, because you tend to sit back then and wait, whereas you could be taking yeah. more proactive action if you yeah, knew... Yeah, now I did. I rang every day hoping that I'd get through to maybe someone who would be able to do something for me. And up until, I'd say, three days ago, I was being told that there was a note on my on the passport right. to say when I was flying out that they would try and do Expedite something. Expedite it, yeah. That didn't happen. And then about three days ago, um, I got on the phone to one lady and she said, you're not getting it before the 24th of March. And that's just basically. Mother of God, what are you going to do? Do the kids know that there's pressure? Yeah, yeah, we've told them. We have to tell them that we changed it the last time. It's just... To be honest, they're young anyway, and it's... it's but like, do they know there's a chance you won't be going Friday? Because they must be very excited. No. They don't know. They yeah, think Friday's right. on. Yeah. yeah. When, and when would you when, do you... when do you think you'd have to tell them? I suppose Friday. Thursday night? Yeah, after the post yeah. on Friday. What time is the flight at? The flight is Friday morning at quarter past eight from Cork. Yeah, I know. I know. 
What time does your post arrive? Um, right, say seven o'clock. Huh? Yeah, but you see, if they're saying the back end of March, it probably will be the back end of March, unless yeah, we can make. Listen, we've been banging off. We we constantly bang off, and we'll do the same for you. Uh, everything we can. Yeah, like um, got on to it's very hit or miss, though. You know, I can't guarantee anything, but we yeah. certainly will try. And explain. Oh Jesus, I know that and thanks very much but I got on to a local TV myself who he, and he's tried everything possible himself and he's got no worry there himself and I've got great help from them and things but there's no change as the of today and he an awful lot of money as well which we wouldn't really have. No, sure you save very hard for a trip away, to Disneyland you know? doesn't come cheap. Yeah. Okay, well listen yeah. uh, I know that I know the Seamus is on it and let's see if we can make a difference. We'll do our very, very best and see what happens in the coming day or two, alright? It might, it might it might involve you having to drive to Dublin to pick it up, but I'd say you'd have no problem oh, with it. <laughs> I get to train myself and walk to the office if I have to. Listen, fingers crossed Kate, alright? Fingers crossed. Thank you very much. All right, take care for now. Just a couple of things. Um, I know I've said it in the past, but if you're planning anything in the summer, would you please look at your passports now? Would you please, you know, decide that if you have a child that doesn't have a passport, that now would be a good time to put in the application ahead of May, June, July or August to get it done? Because otherwise, this is going to get worse as the months go along. They're saying 1.7 million passport applications will be lodged the passport office between now and the end of the year. It's time to do it now, um, even if you're looking at a sunshine destination. I loved that idea in the news earlier on where they said people should get a reminder, whether it's a letter or an email. They should get a reminder, maybe three months, four months, maybe even six months before their passport. Like, you know, your car tax, you get a reminder telling you your car tax is up the month after whatever. Same thing should happen with the passport. Same thing should happen, incidentally, with the driving license. Maybe it does. I, I don't think I ever got one. Reminder saying your license is nearly up. But it should. You know, there's so much tech there now that it could just be done very autom- automatically. A little bit of software, job done. So please have a look at it because you don't want to find yourself in the same scenario as many listeners to me over the last two years have found themselves in um, with too little time uh, to sort it. And an incredible backlog. Back after the break. Call the Neil Prenderville Show now on the new number. 0818-104-106. And back to the phone lines we go. Gillian, good morning. You hear me all right? No, not there. Might be on this one. Gillian, no, she's not there, lads. Come back to me as soon as she's sorted. Okay, we'll try another line and see how we get on. There you are, Gillian. Good morning. How are you? What's good morning in Russian? <laughs> Dobrutra. Dobrutra. Dobra Utra. All right, I tried. So the fact that you're married to a Russian, does that mean you eat Russian food? I do. I can cook Russian food better than I can cook Irish food. You are joking me, really? I'm like, serious. So yeah. what would Russian food be like? Um, well, they would eat an awful lot of fish, so I, I wouldn't be too worried about the fish because I know they wouldn't want to hurt them. Um, they would be, like, fish would be a very big part of their meals, a lot of fish salads. Um, a lot of baked fish and um, stews with fish. You would eat a lot of like you would do homemade burgers. You would do salads. Broth soups would be one of the main things actually. Soups, um, salads, yeah, like a beetroot uh, broth soup would be very popular. It's actually quite nice with sour cream. It's unusual, but it's nice. Beetroot um, soup. Beetroot, yeah, a beetroot would be very big actually with salads, even with fish. Yeah, that's interesting. I'd like to know what that yeah. tastes. Like. Do you know what I had last weekend down? You know the cafe down in Ballymaloo. I had. Yeah. Am I pronouncing this right? Celeriac soup. 
Oh yes, yeah, yeah, yeah. It reminded me yeah. of a very old. It's lovely. It was a bit like an yeah. old-fashioned uh, potato soup. Do you remember? You could just oh, get potatoes. Be, yeah, it's, oh, it's very unusual, isn't it? I love it. Okay, yeah. so lots and lots of fish. Lots yeah. of fish. Fish then. would be a huge thing. I think the only thing I'd be worried about is them fishing in the Irish seas. That's the only thing I'd be worried about. Why? Because they love fish. <laughs> Um, what does he I do, your him. husband, your Russian husband? What's his name? Sergey. <laughs> I needn't ask Sergey. <laughs> Sergey the Russian. Uh, what does he do? He's a barber. <laughs> Where'd you meet him? Yeah. Um, I met him in Bandon <laughs> a long time ago now. He actually came over here through college. He came over as he trained to be a vet and he went to, uh, to college over and he came over then from there. So um, there's a big community actually of like he's Belarusian now. So, but like they would all speak Russian and they would have like to be honest, they'd be very welcoming. And that's the one thing I think it's the very similarities with like, the Irish in some ways. Like as in like if you went to someone's house or anything, yeah. they would be cooking for a whole day before you'd arrive. I you know? know, I know. Yeah, um, I mean, there's a chap similar. there in the Vox Pop. He's Russian and he sounded like a right character. Recommended where some they could go are. for a couple of lofts. Yeah. Do you speak Russian? Yeah. I wouldn't be fluent, but I'd understand. I can understand everything on the phone, like if someone was speaking, but I wouldn't always be able to speak back. I'd be you know, is, it is it a hard language? Is it a hard language to learn? Um, yeah, it is, to be fair now. I think I speak better after a couple of drinks, Neil. <laughs> but um, we're getting there. <laughs> so you does, he eat, does he eat Irish food at all? Oh, he does, yeah. Like, potatoes is one of their main foods. I mean, they would be, like, if they didn't have a potato to be, like, the Irish farmers, you know, it would be a very traditional thing. You'd have to have potatoes with nearly every meal. It's like in Ireland, so, where, where's the spuds? Yeah. What are you doing with all this? Where's the spuds? Yeah. yeah. And do they, do they the like to party? Yeah. We hear that the Russians oh, are great God, to party. Oh, God, yeah. Yeah, they do sometimes too much, Neil, to be honest. <laughs> but um, when they party, they do, they always eat when they party. It wouldn't be, like, just straight to the pub. You would always have to have food on the table, you know. So they're picking uh, away, the well, thing. is it vodka then, or are they pint drinking? Drink? It would be... Yeah, my husband, it would be more of a whiskey drinker. I think he's converted because he's here so long. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But, um, you know, it would be mainly vodka, no shots of vodka. Um, and then you'd have tomato juice or juice after you take a sup. And do you yeah. do that as well? I mean, you you get involved in the ritual, do you? The um, vodka shots and tomato juice. I'd be more a wine drinker now, to be honest. <laughs> yes, I, would, I like the mozzie oven wine now. Like, he hasn't but, converted um, yet. If I have to, I have to. You know, I do it when I have to. And have you travelled to Russia to meet his people? Um, well, I've been to most of the Baltic states. I like if he's Belarus, um, it would be um, Grodno would be the area. But I've been all over. I've been to Lithuania. I've been to all of the Baltic states besides South. He has an aunt down in Moscow, all right, which he's been a few times, but we haven't been there yet. I'd be darned. You know? I'd be darned. Yeah. And, and do you have kids, Gillian? I have. I four. Yeah. And are they? I have are they two, raised Irish or Russian? Very. Um, well, obviously they're Irish, but the two older boys would speak very good Russian. And my younger girl is actually learning at the moment. She watches all her cartoons through Russian, <laughs> so she would be speaking fair. Like sometimes I'm questioning, what are you talking about? But yeah, she's getting her. Oh yeah. my god! And what does Sergey make of the Russian Navy off the west coast? Um, do you know what? We're having a great crack actually because we have a lot of group chats um, on Viber and or, like I was sending a few links and they were just laughing. They were like, "There's going to be a lot of fishing done in those seas," um, <laughs> you know. But they're they know like this, you know, they're kind of making jokes out of it really because like, what would Ireland, what would Russia want with Ireland in the first place, you know? 
Very strategically uh, important, the west coast of Ireland. He, he must you see, know. I suppose they're training. They're every year by different countries. Like America would have been, you know, it would have been continuously. You know? I, know, I know, I know. It's only highlighted because it's the Russians that are there. You know? know, yeah. Where did you <laughs> but, actually yeah. get married then? We got married. I'm very spontaneous, Neil. I actually, what happened was, I was only 20 actually, and we were together a long time, but um, I went over to Belarus and we just decided in the morning we were going to get married. And in the afternoon, we went to the registry office, I got a dress, and we just turned up at four o'clock and there we were. Oh, right. So it wasn't people dressed as Hussar smashing plates. No, Jesus, no. Smashing glasses um, and things. We we did something afterwards, like, but um, yeah, it was was all good, you Uh, know. Great story. It's a great story. I love it. Okay. Yeah. Listen, yeah. it's good so, to catch up with you. Is he cutting no hair today, he is? He is, yeah. Yeah. Fair play. Yeah. Well, well yeah. let him know that you were sharing all of your... <laughs> I get killed, Neil. Your state secrets. <laughs> You're sharing all the Russian secrets I'm this telling morning. you. Send them away down to me. I'll do a big feast for them all. All right, <laughs> all right Gillian. Cheers. Take care. Great bye, story. Bye, Take bye, care. Bye. All the best. Text 0868104106. Pick up the phone on our brand new number 0818104106. So stay with phone lines, actually. Back to a topic that we touched on yesterday. Patricia, good morning. Good morning, Neil. How are you? I'm good. So now we're hearing from the actual litter wardens that they're being pressurised by the hierarchy and city council uh, to um, go around and find people for all sorts of daft things regarding their bins. Um, your thoughts? Yeah, well, my story, I just heard the end of that lady yesterday, but my story is I got a similar fine. Um, the fine came in the door and we, we thought it was a mistake because um, it just said for littering. And it did show a photograph of the bin, and the bin was a jar. So but that's not. We, I mean, technically, that's know, not littering. I, I agree. And we uh, got onto them, and they said, uh, you know, that we can appeal it. So I think we. It was on our second appeal. Um, we have a daughter with extra need, and we would have some extra um, rubbish from you know generated. So we mentioned that, and they did say as a one-off gesture they would accept the appeal, but it was it was really not um, successful in the appeal that we had said that we... Oh, yeah. It did didn't litter, fit the criteria you know, of appeal, but they made an exception they, because They kind of, of made you. an exception, but they did stress that it was just kind of a gesture of goodwill, that really we didn't win the appeal as such. So It was a kind of, we, this is a one-off, don't do it again. It's like don't if do you're it getting, again, yeah. Like if they pass my bin tomorrow, like, and the bin is ajar... Um, well, then we will be fined again. You know, we would be fined. So um, now my, we had explained that actually when you're bin, you know, you know, like when you put your rubbish in the bin, you know, you could dance in it and kind of get it down and get the thing closed. But we would say, oh, God, that kind of makes it difficult for the rubbish to come out. So we had said that in the appeal. And also then when they didn't accept, I think they didn't accept the first appeal. Um, I just got advice from a friend of ours who uh, is in the legal, that yeah. was more academic, and she said that, you know, there is no way that this litter is on the floor. It's not you littering, know, it's, you see. It's not littering. That litter is caused, we, and then when we looked at the actual letter, it says that you can cause litter. So when that lady goes no, to court, I don't buy that. Anybody, not, anybody could I know, potentially I know. cause litter, you know? I know, I, exactly. But what, what, what they have said now is that we have the potential to cause litter. Now, I would have gone to court because, and actually my friend said he would have come to court for us, with us, you know, because he said you cannot be fined for something you actually didn't do. That's, and now, I, think, I think your friend is right. That's why I'd be very yeah, interested to see what happens in court on the back end of February. 
Absolutely. And the other argument they say is, and I, I remember people ringing in, going back when this came up, maybe on a different station, but another thing they say is that you should have a lock on your bin. You know, and then that would, like, because some people would argue that, okay, maybe I put my bin out and the bin lid was closed, but somebody else opened it. But how can you put a lock on your bin? How did they open it? You can buy them. Apparently, there's some some gadgets within the... But how does a bin collector know how to open the bin, then? No, he doesn't. Actually, apparently, that there is some kind of a mechanism that you can buy a bin. There is companies selling, or sorry, you can buy locks. And there is some kind of a mechanism where, you know, when they tilt them on the... All right, I'll on, take your word truck, for it. Yeah. That there is something that opens them. Okay. But again, surely be to God, if that's going to be an issue, they should be supplied with the bin. Yeah, I just think you know? it's a form of harassment when people are pinned to their collar as it is, you know. Exactly. Particularly and, if and, there's and, others driving around taking photographs and then getting the lid of wardens to go up and issue the fines. I mean, that's double jobbing. That's just creating Well, Well, they're obviously going costs. back because our, our bins are collected kind of before nine, I think, in the morning. So obviously they were out on our road, you know. Um, spying on you. They're spying bin. on people, spying that's what it is. But okay. also the other thing is, like, if, if it is an issue, surely they would have put a notice on your bin saying, look, you know, we're trying to stop this because I know their issue would be maybe that birds pick at your bin or that something well, blows it over. some people are saying that, it, you know, no. you can't defend this because it does cause potentially a little problem. Potentially a little problem. I, I, I don't that's buy it a couple the, of that, inches. That's the, it was just that if this is going to be something, surely even as, as they would say a gesture, that they would actually put a sticker on your bin and say, please, you okay. know, in future, would you close okay. your bins? Okay. But, um, but anyway, okay. that's, that's it. I don't know so how, thank you for that. Appreciate well. it, Patricia. Cheers, okay. take care. You're I welcome. don't see how anybody could find you before the fact before something happens. They can't... I'm going to find you because I'm anticipating that this might happen. I don't get that at all. Um, Jim, good morning. Hello, Neil. How are you? Good, my man. Me on. Not at all. What's on your mind? Come here, you man. There are about stupid laws. There's back enough for them? The, there was a law brought out in this country back in the 1800s to stop the peasants, the peasants from um, kicking a ball in a public place. Right. But 50 years ago, there was eight of us in the Harlow village kicking the ball and the girl, a girl came along <coughs> and there was four poor fellas and four rich fellas. Four poor fellas playing ball, right. is it? We'll say four fellas out of cottages and four fellas publicans, shopkeepers, business people. Right. right? Okay, were you playing well, each other? Two teams, was it, or what? No, yeah, we'd be kicking it around, right? But anyhow, for you bring you up is, who got summons? The poor guys. The poor, poor, of course. Set 90, around about 1972-ish. That law was brought out in the 1800s. So what happened? Did the guard come along or something? He came along with kicking the wall, right? Them, them laws were brought out long ago to oppress the local, the Irish people, and they're still enforced today. Stupid laws. So the guard came along. How old were you? 12, 13, something like that? Four, 13 or 14. And what did the guard say? He said, you're breaking the law, you're kicking the ball on the road. He said, I'm going to summon you. And did he take well, he names? He didn't mind being summoned if he summoned the eight of us, like, but the four fellas he left go over that every night. We were only passing through the, the other four fellas day. So he took four names, not eight. He took the whole, he took the eight names. But then when it went back to the barracks or whatever. Oh yeah, our local good sergeant. They, they recognised names of the publican or the undertaker oh, or yeah, the solicitor. Oh yeah, we can't be in the big people. <laughs> And you got fined. And did yeah, you fo- but a couple, co- we were fined. There was an old courthouse then, and decided uh, in the straight road, and the 
Bellin Colleague side of it, and we had to go down there and we were find out, you know, was it a half crown or five bob, five shillings. And did your folks pay it? We had to pay it, of course. Yeah, how did they but feel a about it? Of, a couple of months after then, there we used to be around the road, and we, we never done nothing on all the way to known, which we used to be fully around the road. She was from the Yeah, A couple of months after, the local sergeant came over. So the mother went out to me, you know, and he said he'd give me a search. She said he is. So the mother went, came in, and she said to me, let you stay there now. But I see her pick up the sweeping brush. She went out the door, drew flake down top of the sergeant's head, and blew the head off him. <laughs> But Trotting has been fine to the old living the four full of the off. Did she say that to him? She did. He got in his camera and seemed wrong. Did the sergeant do a runner when he got the bat, when he got a belt to the sweeping oh, brush? He done more than a runner. He was like a, a flying rat, you know. <laughs> <laughs> he didn't think of summonsing or finding your mother? No, no. But, but anyhow, see, that same sergeant didn't like. He he was one of the biggest vegetables and creator growers. Going to the con, there was a big Mac and then the con Mac could sit at him and talk to him on the He had all the farmers growing potatoes and vegetables and everything for him because you scratch my back and I scratch yours. <laughs> but he wasn't breaking the law. I stood to him, but he was breaking the law when he was doing favours. But there was a big huge laugh one time then that and the potatoes would be inside in Hessian bags, hundredweight bags. <laughs> So he sold the bag of potatoes to the local shopkeeper and then the local shopkeeper found the ham, bacon inside <laughs> the bag of potatoes. <laughs> <laughs> but, but anyway, but the, do you he, think that, that that law has got to be gone now playing ball on the board? it's still there. But what I'd like to know on is, is, <laughs> is, uh, <laughs> I can't stop laughing. Uh, is, is, I'm is, laughing is, at your mother with the people in, the, in Cork, even in the country, got to, someone said the same thing? I doubt it. For playing ball? Yeah, I never. I mean, it never happened to us. But uh, I mean, may, maybe a good guy to ask that now would be the likes of, say, Conal Creedon, because they used to play ball all the time on the streets around Devonshire Street, uh, around uh, you know that area there where they had the, oh, yeah, the Creedon shop, the <laughs> Coburg Street area. Um, but sure, you have not. There was no, no. There was no. Well, if you lived, in, if you ball. lived in the city, but, that's that was your your pitch for the street. I have great. Uh, Memories of um, of um, really after apples. Oh, happy day! A, we used to call that slogging apples. Slogging apples. Do you call uh, that? Well, that's the, well, we are, we are so really you probably city places. But anyhow, we there was an after back a couple of miles back there from us. It was a big old estate. There was three acres of an after there, but there was a big ten foot wall there. But we had some, well, we didn't do someone before us. Done it. Cut holes, took out stones in the wall. You'd have to climb up the wall to get in. <laughs> But I remember one Saturday night I, we went down and when you got up the wall then you could climb down an apple tree but I knew when I started to go down there was something wrong and I said to the lads don't come down at all I said to them clinging onto the tree hadn't the old farmer all the tree had I got completely destroyed my <laughs> hair with use some, some kind of a creosote or something on the tree yeah, yeah. <laughs> but then yeah, he had um, he had a, he had a, he had a, oh, left to walk in a couple of hundred yards into the field and then when that didn't stop us he put a mad bull there <laughs> And you'd have to wait till the bull go in to get back out. But the, the you were desperate the for an apple, were you? Huh? You were desperate for a juicy apple. <laughs> Turn the, the apples at all just to get them. But the sergeant would be over straight away. Then. But I, I remember that night, this poor man had any 
45 apple trees, fierce nice men he was too. But we ended up, we were raiding the after the course, and there was three of us up in the tree, and there was a couple of foot soldiers in the ground. But your man came out, his dogs are going stone mad. <laughs> but in here, he came out in here, but the, lad, the foot soldiers were long gone then, but we couldn't come down for he, the dogs to get us. <laughs> so he came out in here, and he had to the dogs. What's tongue dogs? You're going stone mad. There's uh, no one around. There is I'll plug him. I couldn't say he'd have gone over right now. But he said I'd plug him, so he might have had a shotgun. But that was an awful lot at him. And another time then, we had no water until Craig at him. We'd have to walk back the road a half mile for a bucket of clean water. But the council sunk well across the road from my place and... Uh, the pump was there for months after the summer, so we stood the pump in here, even though there was no water coming out of it, it looked well. Those sergeants was over next morning with the, with the council, there was murder over it. You stole the pump? Yeah, then you see Neil, the council came out, or the council came out and put the water going. <laughs> Maybe if we didn't stand the wet pump, they wouldn't have put it going for months. <laughs> That's right. Well done. That, yeah. raise, that raises another story about when people had to walk a couple of miles for a bucket of water. But anyway. L- All right, listen, Jim, lovely talking to you. Do Come stay in touch. I want to mention one thing there, please. Uh, my sister was 80, 80 years uh, old. Uh, we did a big party down in Fountainstone at her daughter's house, and they'll give me a couple of days out now. And, uh, What's her name? Uh, Betty O'Sullivan, a great woman. Happy birthday. Your sister Betty was 80 this week. Is yeah. she your older sister? Uh, and one more thing, Neil. Uh, remember there, I was on a few months ago about, uh, about uh, the eagles taking the sheet, the lamb. Yeah. No, when the sign of trouble this year, you must have brought Red FM or someone must have brought me great luck. Look, I have 22 lambs, no vets, no nothing. And we, one poor lamb couldn't stand up for a week. So he... he um, You'd have to feed him with a bottle then. Yeah. And we'll still feed him with a bottle. But, but no eagles, no? No, and we'll have to christen off. We christen them. I don't know. Ready for him. <laughs> Keep that lamb now. I'm Rory. And I'm Valerie. And you can join us for the very best in local, national and international sport every weekend on The Big Red Bench. That's The Big Red Bench. Every Saturday and Sunday from 6 on Cork's Red FM. And so this morning we know that for 25 years, Victoria Beckham hasn't eaten a car- one carb. Hardly ever. She just doesn't eat carbs. What is she missing out on? But yeah. Well, I mean, she she just doesn't. She eats the same food every day for the last twenty five years. Do you know what I know what it is? Yeah, tell okay. me. Okay, it's grilled fish and steamed vegetable. Actually, I can drill into it more. It's actually a fillet of sea bass and steamed broccoli. Probably the most boring vegetable on say, the planet. But very dry. Is there a sauce or anything with no, that? No. No. Yeah. Nothing. No. no. So I've been asking people all morning. If you had to eat one meal every day for 25 years, what would it be? Oh, easy peasy. Roast chicken dinner with gravy, with roast potatoes, with stuffing, with carrots. Um, <laughs> oh yeah, that was my dinner when I wasn't very good. I'm not very good with numbers. Journalists tend not to be. <laughs> so I used to have a double business org or biz org as we called it. I think it's called something different now. Um, on a Wednesday afternoon and I hated <laughs> it so much. Uh, but every Wednesday when I would come home at half three, quarter to four, my mum would have a roast chicken dinner cooked for me. Oh and that's what God. got me through my double biz org on a Wednesday. Lots of gravy, yeah? Oh yeah, yeah. Stuffing, it has to have the whole... The whole lot. Roasties oh. as well. Very important. And the best of roast potatoes from oh, your yeah. mammy, I bet you. Yeah, of course. I've never been able to reproduce it like she well did. Well done. You just paint a beautiful picture. You raise another question now, because years ago, I still have a buddy, Kieran, a buddy of mine, 
they they have a, a roster of food. It's the same food on the Monday, every Monday. Oh, my mum used to be like that too. Wednesday, yeah. Thursday, Friday, Saturday. And I wonder, does that go on much anymore? Where, where it's like, for instance, Monday would always be a stew, you know? Yeah, no. Friday might be a baby, I don't know, burger and chips or something like that. Do you know what I mean? We'd have Saturday, Saturday might be a fry up. Kind yeah, of we'd have chips and stuff on a Saturday, and there was always fish one day. I think that was Thursday. I think that was the day I kind of dodged a bit. I was never. But my well, house is like. It would have been a Friday, though, wouldn't it? The fish, no, though? it wasn't. I think it began to be a Friday and in the beginning, but it was moved. I'm sure that was Thursday, and it was smoked haddock, which is oh, nice, gorgeous. but very smelly. Not for a kid, I suppose. I understand. No. It's a developed age. You'd come in and you'd be like, oh no, it's fish day. <laughs> <laughs> God, yeah. <laughs> Go on the lag from dinner. <laughs> oh, I love it. Yeah, I don't think it happens anymore, but my house I is a bit like, uh, my house, there's a menu nearly in my house because I have one child who does not like pasta, rice, um, anything spicy. He just likes meat, He's potato, the, oh my God. So I end up making two dinners usually. <laughs> It's ridiculous. And the, the I could like, tell you to put your foot down, woman. <laughs> you could, but then I'd have a child who doesn't eat. So know, what am I meant to I do? Know, and it's my own fault because I started it. I remember coming home late from work one <laughs> evening. I was really tired. I said, you know, I'll just do lasagna. They're all bound to eat lasagna. And I remember David said to me, what's the other option? And he was like... <laughs> Oh my God! He got the be, evil eye. Fit to be tied. <laughs> yes. Very All right. Listen. Stuff. Great stuff. Good chatting to you. One hundred four to one hundred six. Red FM. This is the Neil Prenderville Show. Ah, uh, yeah. There was another tradition. We were just chatting with Lana that you know, at home when you're growing up, you had the same food every Monday. It was like you could, you always knew before you went home, even if you opened the front door, what the smell would be. It could be maybe it might be a roast chicken, maybe it might be a stew. Uh, if you were very adventurous back in the day, of course, spaghetti bolognese would. Feel feature, kind of an easy meal to put together and then as you went through the week there might be a bit of fish or whatever the case may be and on the weekends then 6 o'clock on a Saturday would be a big fry up and of course the big Sunday lunch then would be uh, the big roast. Anyway, text 0868 on that and actually talking about nostalgia I see the Primetime did a show there recently on um, comparing millennials now and say the boomer generation and who could afford a house and who could afford the deposit making comparisons. They were saying actually the millennials, those trying to buy houses for the first time, struggle much more now to do so much more than, say, their parents did. So I was looking at some of the statistics on that show over the past couple of days because uh, I saw a post on Facebook by Con Nagel. He's the director and the estate agent and property advisor with Global Properties Limited and Balancholic, big company, joins me by phone because I don't think he agrees with the prime time we're making the point on. Con, good morning. Good morning, Neil. How are you doing? I'm good. So you call it, um, I think you used the word bull, did you? I think that's as much as you can use on social media without without insulting people. Well, we get we get the idea in the sense that you just don't agree that it's harder now than say um, thirty thirty years ago. No, forty years ago. Um, no, no, not, uh, maybe you're slightly uh, slightly uh, paraphrasing wrong there. What I gave out about really is that the RT prime time said that that an average couple's earnings is seventy six thousand at the moment. Right. Mean that allowing for a deposit and 3.5 times their income, it is enough to borrow 90% of the average €272,000 house. But they went on to say the equivalent figure in 1987 paints a very different picture. The average dual income was 24000 and the average house price was 42000 So a mortgage of 3.5 times the income of the average couple would have bought two houses. The problem is they're not comparing like with like. In what way There's like no with like? Or building society giving... Uh, anything like that amount of, of a mortgage at the time. 
Uh, what were they giving? More. Was it two and a half times, was it? It was two and a half times the main income, which, you know, a, a few years previously was very sexist, and so two and a half times the man's income, and <sighs> once the second income. But that's the way the world was. So people found it very hard to borrow then. Back then, you had to be saving with a building society for two, three or five years, and then if the building society had money, they might give you a mortgage to buy a house. Yeah. So things were very different. But you also um, could, even in the 80s, because I bought a house in 89 and I got it through a bank, not a building society. Yes, the banks came into the mortgage market in the, in the mid-80s. Yeah. Um, but like the current generation of school leavers, uh, college leavers, they have an awful lot going for them. They're the most educated and, and, and skilled Irish people ever. You know, so, uh, but there are a few problems in the, put in their path. Buying a house is hard. It always has been hard, and I suppose it always will be hard. You, you do know now that people in their 20s and 30s are continuing to live with their parents, whereas in my generation, that was not the case. You were gone, and you were able to fly the nest and support yourself as best you could, and even in your perhaps late 20s, get your own home. You can't do that now. That's, that's being absolutely honest with you. I mean, I remember the house prices in the back end of the 80s. I, I paid 45,000 euro for for a house and I got a mortgage for that no bother yeah but I suppose we've become so educated it's gas the year time mentioned there 1987 and the average age of somebody doing the leaving cert was 17 now they're 19 doing the leaving cert back in 1987 only 15 or 20% of people went on third level education now probably 75 or 80% go on to third level and therefore they don't enter the jobs market until they're 23 or 24. Well, maybe this, so. This obviously, this obviously delays your house buying. Do you mean it delays your, uh, your ability to start saving? It does because, very Because very few people went college. to college back then and yeah, I know what you're saying. But if you look at some of the numbers, the average house price in the late 80s was 42 grand. In today's yeah. money, that 42 grand is 80,000. Where in actual fact, you won't get anything for 80,000. There are three bedroom semis in Glanmire selling for 385,000. I mean, come on, Con. Oh, no, oh, I fully, I fully agree. I fully agree. That is, That's a 230% increase in house prices since yeah. the back end of the 80s to down. 230%. Oh, I agree very much. But, you know, it's gas the houses that were built in the 80s. You know, you, you two, two, two sets of blocks and, you know, the, the insulation that was put in there it wasn't much much better than tinfoil. You know, so what the products that people are getting these days is infinitely better. And we as a country have moved on. We're an expensive, very expensive country to build and to for, for housing. Very, yeah, very expensive. Yeah, I suppose we always look through 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 rose tinted glasses, but you know, a three bedroom semi, three hundred, three fifty, three eighty thousand, that that can't be value for money. And the only way young people can get around that is buying that house and paying it back over what is it, thirty five years now? Yes, whereas the, the, the people in 1987 were, could get a mortgage and trust for 20 years. So at least if they bought in their, in their 20s, they were finished their mortgage before they were 50. Yeah. But I feel very sorry for people now because if you don't buy, if you're buying in your 30s and you have a 30 year mortgage, you're, you're, you're at retirement before you pay your last few bob back to the bank. But doesn't that show that it's much harder now? That alone, that you're, you're, crippled and chained to a mortgage for 35 years whereas oh, in the 80s you were in and out harder. done, dusted owned the home 20 years later was yours yeah one, oh, it, it, that makes it an awful lot harder but what I was calling calling the bull on basically was say, saying that you could get three and a half times income as a mortgage back in 1987 
Oh, I always thought it was twice. Oh, exactly. That's all. Twice, it was twice, twice the main income and once the second income. Yeah, yeah. And what was but, the what was the average? Do you know what the average age was of a first time homeowner buyer then? Um, somewhere around twenty five to twenty seven. And now most people bought. And now it's somewhere around thirty five. Forty one, I think. Yep, that, that could well be the case. Why do you think that is? Trying to save for what's the deposit now? Is it ten percent? It's about ten percent, but I suppose we have a lot more expenses today than we had in in, in well, the Well, that 80s. is true. Yeah, you know, yeah. with the mobile phone, we've we've online gambling, we've takeaways, we've Netflix subscription, we've gym membership, all things which, if you mentioned that you were spending money on in nineteen eighty seven, people would have thought you were nuts. Uh, yeah, and a lot more overseas holidays and flashier cars, I suppose. We have a much higher standard of living, and we expect a much higher standard of living too, and. and we're more educated and people have worked harder and maybe maybe deserve the higher standard of living. And tell but me this, w- way back in the day, because a lot of the homes now, not everybody, I hate to generalise, but it's kind of yeah. turnkey. The house, they, they don't go into a new home unless it's, is it fully fully furnished? Whereas years ago, you did it kind of room by room, wasn't it? Very much so. Um, but also, I suppose, an advantage back in 87 is, is, is that people had relatives who were handy. You know, you, you might have a, a cousin who's a carpenter who'd, who'd fix up one room, somebody else who's a painter, a plumber. You know, you got a lot of those those jobs done for free. <laughs> if you'd have been I, family. I must have missed out on all of that. <laughs> <laughs> and also, interest rates were like 16, 17%, weren't they? They were enormous. Yes. I was watching that, that, that primetime program last night um, with a few people. And so it was uh, over in Aerog, actually. Uh, we were doing the bingo. Um <laughs> But two other people were were saying, yeah, they remember paying uh, 14 and 17% back in 1987, 89, 1990. You know, so it, it was hard going as well. They looked then, uh, I was looking at some statistics on it where the average house price in the 1980s was 42,000. You adjust that now to today's money. Houses should only cost 80,000, but they're more likely to spend hundreds of thousands. So the increase in house prices and real prices from the 1980s to now is a 230% increase. I mean, how can anybody justify that, in, in fairness? Like, I mean, you know, who's your typical customer now looking for a house? I suppose our typical customer these days are, are, are couples or singles who are working in, in, in high-tech jobs and they're getting high-tech salaries as, uh, as well. So people are well-paid. Again, generalizing, I'll get crucified for saying that. But, you know, people are being reasonably well-paid um, and they can afford, and they seem to be buying them. Otherwise, houses wouldn't be selling, and people wouldn't be building them. Yeah, I know. But one of our big problems at the moment is not half houses are being built. And do you think if more, think if more were be being built, they might be cheaper? I do. I do think so. Yes, there'll be more, more, um, there'll be more houses, um, and demand wouldn't be so strong then. But, but what about everybody else then, who's not in high-tech jobs making big salaries? How are they ever going to be able to afford their own home on 35, 40, 45 grand a year? Oh, yeah. Um, they're managing. People are, are finding ways. People are saving. People are doing extra hours. Um, we see all these things. Um, we see some very hard-working people buying houses off us. For, in all incomes? In all, in all incomes, yes. Like, you know, the brand new house there that you were talking about at 350,000, 370,000 euros, you know, there's second-hand houses at, at, at you know, anything from, from 150, 200, 
250,000 euros. Can you ask me a question? I only noticed this recently before I let you go. Is there stamp duty, stamp duty now on a new house? There's stamp duty in all houses. It's 1% up as far as a million euros. But wasn't it, it. wasn't it a case years ago that a first-time buyer didn't pay stamp duty on their first home? There was, and there was also a first-time buyer's grant, which worked out at about 10% of the purchase price. So that's 10% of, of the purchase price is gone now. And the first time buyer's grant is much less than that. Wasn't that a very mean thing to do, to put stamp duty on a new home for a first time buyer? Very much so, because the government here is 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 taking uh, 13.5% VAT on any new house that's being sold. Um, How did they get away with that? That's, that's so unfair on people. I suppose, Neil, we, we the people vote the government every two or three years. That slip, but that was one that slipped by me. I'm going to see if we can get some calls and texts on it. Much obliged to you for taking the call, Con, and let you get back to selling. Appreciate it. Take yeah, thank care. you very Con much. Con Nagel with uh, Global Properties in Ballon College. Actually, I will stay with a call on it, actually, if you don't mind. Dan, good morning. Good morning, Neil. Good morning, Shoe. You want to pick up uh, on that? I, I, I did. I was watching Prime Time last night, and I don't think they, they didn't mention that we have something like uh, 500,000 people earning less than 30 grand a year and maybe 35,000 a year and if you combine that with two salaries that's still only uh, just less than 70,000 a year and then with the cost of child minding after that those people cannot afford to, to, to buy their own house so the only chance they have got then is to get some kind of social housing or affordable housing yeah, I mean, and, and that is the case for many, many people who just can't get on the property ladder because of that income. Con Nagel exactly. is saying that an awful lot of people do. Uh, it, it's an incredible thing to have to even say. They work harder. They work longer hours. They, they, do, they, do, they do. I mean, do. like that, that isn't that isn't the but solution. Sir, Neil, I remember the first house we bought in Carrigline was we, we were paying 17% interest and we got them all on the first national. I remember that, and it was, and it was very tough. It definitely was very tough to manage. In in what way tough? Like you literally could not do anything because you were pinned to your collar to pay the mortgage. Yeah, exactly, 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 exactly. In the sense that if yeah. you're going to get a mortgage, you have to rule out socialising, holidays, flash That's cars, right. new and, phones, uh, and. Yeah, well, well, we, we we had to have a car. So we, I, I, I walked in 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 Cork City, and uh, we, we lived in Ireland estate. So I mean, I can only talk. That? I can only talk from experience. Um, I had come oh. back from Canada, bought a house in Rochester, paid forty-five thousand euro yeah. for it, took out a forty thousand euro mortgage, and yeah. I'm quite sure there's a lot of people my age listening to me who said, "Yeah, I was the same." And it wasn't. That's right. I, I don't remember it being a big deal. Now it's a huge deal. So I can only compare it. Because you but considered a while ago, like that, the people that he's dealing with, with some of the people he's dealing with, are in well-paid jobs. Yeah, but what about everybody else who's in an average pay job? Like, for instance, how can they ever save for deposit if they're spending fifteen hundred euro a month in rent? But neither can't. That's our problem, and they're not telling us that. Those people, Neil, that 500,000, every six or every 12 months, that amount of people that are on the housing list are, are increasing and they're renting. And they, if, if you go renting, you cannot save to buy a house. And on top of all of that, of course, things that would have been regarded as essentials back then are the same essentials now. Food, clothing, transport, electricity, and, and, and heating, Neil, gas, Neil, all, all gone up. And Neil, don't forget if you were smallies in the house as well. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. No, I mean, 
if it were me, I would say it's much, much, much tougher. It's just it is a lot, and I, I, I would agree with you, Neil, a hundred percent. All right, Dan, I appreciate would. it, my man. Thanks, Dan, the man. Back after the break. Text oh eight six eight one zero four one zero six. The Neil Prenderville Show on Twitter at Neil Red FM. Um, and I told you about the story of the young lady who was attacked um, over by the Evergreen Road at the weekend, half past eleven. In relation to that young girl getting attacked, I just want to make you aware of this: the safety in Cork nightclubs is appalling. Me and my friends were in a club on Saturday night. The same night this attack happened, my friend left the nightclub, stood outside the door to answer a phone call. The bouncers wouldn't leave her back in because she was already gone out the front door. She's 22 years of age, standing outside on her own with no spin home and nobody with her, with a band on her wrist showing that she'd paid 15 euro to get in. She couldn't get in contact with me, so asked them could she get back in. Their reply was no. As you're already left, you can't go back in. Half past ten on a Saturday night. She was left standing outside on her own. Luckily, after getting in contact, she left us know she couldn't get back in. So we all left. I just want you to put it to your followers and listeners. Can nightclubs maybe do something, really, for the safety of women? Should women not be turned away on their own? Uh, I don't think so. I just think this could have been my friend and I would have blamed this nightclub and the door staff. It's greed for money. One person out on the street or already paid means another person in for more money. Is this something similar that happened to this young girl? Was she turned away from somewhere? Was she kicked out but then was left on her own? Who knows? If they're just going to kick them out, make sure they are able to get home safely. Don't give out my details. I just wanted to know other people's views and maybe let you know that the nightclubs are wrong here, in my opinion. Thank you for that email. Um, I don't know whether the lads got back onto you, but I think that maybe we, we should go back on because I would like to know the nightclub because I think it behoves us to contact the nightclub that you're talking about. Won't give out your details or anything to tell them that they've got to stop doing this. They literally must stop doing this. Um, perhaps management. I don't know. Maybe management insists that door staff just don't let somebody back in but those days are gone now because all too often people are outside can't get back in I'm not going to drill into any detail on this but I have heard of situations in the past uh, where young girls are out on the street and they're on their own for whatever reason and, and have gone out of a nightclub or whatever the case may be others have left the nightclub because they wanted to get home and they find themselves stranded in the city so we need to have that stopped so I'd love to know the name of the club. Um, that policy is a wrong policy. If she had a band on her wrist, she should have been left back in. She went out to listen to a phone call. Do the door staff not think of the consequences of not letting a young girl back in where she's on the streets on her own, half 10, 11 o'clock at night on a Saturday night? And again, that isn't too far from the area where that young girl was attacked in her 20s on Saturday night in the city on Evergreen Street. If you have other stories like that, feel free to share. But for sure, I'd like to know the nightclub. um, And I would like to think that nightclubs will look at that policy again and stop it because it's just making. And that goes for guys as well as girls. You know, you've got a better like not suggesting you should be allowing people tripes in and out. I mean, you make the call, but use common sense in this regard. Anyway, lines open, text 0868104106. Now, I don't know how much common sense comes into play with regards to house prices or the salaries that are being paid to people. And I chatted with Con Nagel and Dan about that a few minutes' time. But you remember I was talking on Monday that they were saying that Monday, you know, the last, the end of January is the time of the year when people, more so than ever, 
at that time of the year hand in their notice, which leads me to believe that over Christmas or in the early new year, people in the workforce are maybe feeling stagnant or want a career change and they look for work. They're probably looking for more new jobs and new career paths now after the last two years or so of COVID, where people are reassessing their lives, I suppose, and where they're going. So with that in mind, and lots more besides, I want to chat with Ashling Holly from the Kia, the careersclinic.ie. She works with people with regards to uh, job job careers and changing careers and taking up new challenges. And good morning to you, Ashling. You there? Good morning, Neil. How are you? I'm great. I'm great. Is that true in, in two ways? Have people reevaluated their lives after two years of COVID and restrictions and lockdowns or what have you? Totally, Neil. We know by the end of 2022 this year, 46% of the population will have changed jobs. And we know that 36% of the population will change careers. I mean, I think, Neil, COVID certainly has been a catalyst not only to change the landscape of work um, in terms of remote working, but it has also given people time to reflect on life, you know, their, their, their balance in terms of their professional career, you know, and ultimately their whole level of happiness. How happy are they in their life? How happy are they in their professional career? Mm. How happy are they with their network of friends? I mean, happiness in general, I think we've all taken the time through COVID to reevaluate, you know, what we're doing on a day-to-day basis and basically what is the meaning of life Mm. and what is the meaning of fulfilling, I suppose, really happiness within your career. And it is easy, you know, it's easy to achieve, Neil, I suppose, really once, you know, you clear the gap, you know, and it's a thought process. Is very it, much as a mindset. Is it, is it a case that they were in this job or this profession or this career path since school or, or since college and, and never liked it? You know, you often hear of kids who go to college and do college courses because of the points or because their folks told them to do it. And they end up in careers where all they're doing is hoping that it will be Friday fast. And you know what, Neil, you've hit the nail on the head there. You know, systemically, um, you know, we've, we've had a generation of, of parents who've had great aspirations for their children. And, you know, they wanted their children to go to college, to be pilots, to be engineers. And that's OK. You know, education is certainly the best asset or the tool, you know, that you'll ever give your loved ones. You know, but I think at the end of the day, when choosing career, you know, you're 17, 18 years of age, the CAO can be mind blowing, you know, and really sometimes it's parents who dictating those options and those choices. That pressure. Um, and it's, yeah. Absolutely. It's quite scary. You know, most of these children and these young adults have never been in the workplace. They've never experienced, you know, uh, stress in the workplace. You know, and for me, it's about understanding your children, Neil, understanding their level of creativity because passion, we spend eight hours in the workplace on a day-to-day basis Mm. and I've been very fortunate. I've never been a slave to a paycheck, but I have worked with people, you know, and I've observed their body language, you know, my whole awareness around looking at somebody, you know, who's walking the figure of eight or who's constantly watching that clock on the wall, Mm. you know, and when you think about it, you're eight days in the workplace and it's mind blowing in terms of mental well-being, you know, being in a job that you dislike or you're not passionate 
about it. Is it so? Is it now in the times we live in now? Is it an employee's market now or an employer's market? Used to be an employer's market where they dictate the pace, they tell you the terms and the conditions. They they actually they don't even tell you the salary. Why don't they? Why don't they tell people when they're advertising jobs what what the salary is? There is a huge level of panic at corporate level here currently at the moment because you know it very much Neil as you said there it's an employee's market as opposed to what we've seen for the last 10 to 15 years here in Ireland it's been an employer's market um, you know where very much you know talent you know, and the selection criteria and all of that has been a very comprehensive uh, process, you know, and employers really have had, you know, the pick of the bunch. Yes. It's, it's totally opposite. We're dealing with a different generation of people. Expectations are different. You know, when you look at the metrics now when a, a young person is looking at embarking upon a career, absolutely salary is important, but it's not the, you know, it's not the most important metric. You know, there's used to be, though. Flexibility. Very much. But they're looking for the flexibility within the role. What's that mean? So what are they looking for now? Talk to to me through the eyes of a a 20-something or a 30-something. They're looking, Neil, very much at looking at remote working options. You know, if their role doesn't require them to be in an office, they, you know, there's no need. If they can do the role that they're doing from their, you know, from a health and safety perspective, they're set up right at home. If they can do that from their home, you know, they don't want the hassle of that hour and a half commute into Dublin city centre on a day-to-day basis. So that very much remote working gives them the flexibility in terms of their own personal life balance you know, work balance in terms of them, you know, not having the commute, not having the commute home in the evening. You right. know, we've certainly seen through COVID, remote working has worked, not in all situations. You know, I do feel for the nurses and the guards and the, you know, the people in retail who kept us all going. But, you know, in terms of an, an administrative role, an office-based role, you know, there is no reason why they can't. Is it, is it healthy, though? Is it healthy, though? You know, to be quite honest, if they're working from an untidy bedroom, you know, or or, or the kitchen table, you know, it's it's like if long term, is going to be consequences of this? I mean, do would people not miss the camaraderie of work colleagues? The, you know, the the office chats or the water cooler moment. You can't do any of that on Zoom. I do, I, I, do you know what, Neil? I do think it's about. Uh, you know, people definitely, I personally felt very isolated during COVID working from home. I like being out. I like meeting people. But in terms of that changing that landscape of work to accommodate, you know, location, your lifestyle, having that work-life balance, absolutely, you know, having that hybrid option of being able to work remotely and absolutely maybe get into the office twice a week to meet your colleagues and catch up and have the bigger communication face to face absolutely and young people are taking this all into play you know we hear about you know will the younger generation be able to to buy houses they've been under extreme pressure in terms of commutes into all of these uh, tech companies in general that's all based in Dublin you know a lot of them now through Covid have have, have moved back home so again we're, we, we hear about this that the economy is booming you know unemployment is down you know everything is but, uh, but salary right but direction. salaries aren't sure they're not salaries aren't booming in, in, like maybe in tech or in the highly skilled ones but you have hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of thousands of people on 30 grand a year and hundreds of thousands more on 35 and 40 grand a year 
But you see, Neil, there is an underlying revolution at the moment, and it is happening. You know, I, like people that have seen this coming down the line, you know, people are saying no now and that there's choice out there for them. People are, you know, they're not now going for an interview and accepting the 35 grand. You know, it's about value and it's about purpose. It's about evaluating at the end of the day, what is it you're looking for? Then look at your skill set. But do you not, you know, and yeah, but do you not have to sell yourself in an interview anymore? Surely that's a technique that, like, oh, okay, you're absolutely. saying it's an employee's market, but to some extent you have to sell yourself to the employer. And you got to wonder, how can you do that in a Zoom interview, you know? Do you know what, Neil, as I would say, the most important thing you'll do preparing for an interview is, is, is to research the company. It's the biggest mistake when I do mock interviews um, with people. You know, they breeze onto the website. You know, you, you, you're looking at a lot more than just the website. You are looking at the culture. You're looking at the environment. You know, and we hear about this all the time, culture fit. You know, so you're looking at your personal attributes. You should be looking at the values that that company has because what I would say Neil and my personal experience well being in the workplace is the new currency well being in the workplace is that what is that okay we know of the terms and conditions and that are you talking about bad managers or toxic workforce or everything across the board uh, Neil you know bullying harassment things like that Absolutely, like there's a corporate responsibility out there now, and I see it with big companies. You know, they are now beginning to focus on well-being in the workplace. What does that mean? But does it mean? Has that swung? I have to ask you. Does that swung? Has that swung too far? Do you think maybe the pendulum's gone the other way? No. No, I think it's 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 a topic of discussion, and I think when employers are, are 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 willing, you know, to listen and embrace. That, that you know what, from a mental health perspective, it, it, it's okay not to be okay and what kind of support and resources that the company have in place yeah. to be able to support yeah. and identify that somebody is struggling um, in, in, in the workplace, Neil. I mean, there's lots of HR packages uh, currently out there at the moment that do surveys internally with employees where they can pick up on somebody who's disengaged before they actually get to the level of where, you know, they're struggling mentally, physically and mentally in work on a day-to-day basis. And certainly what my advice to most companies, you know, for people that you employ and you have in your business on a day-to-day basis, you want them to be the best version of themselves. They have the skill set. So you've got to drive and motivate and cultivate. And certainly I would say with the, the younger generation, Neil, coming up, you know, they're innovative, they're creative. And employers have to learn how to empower and cultivate that level of creativity yeah. in them, you know, to be inclusive, you know, and we talk about inclusion and diversity and all of that. So there was a story in the paper this morning of a, a young woman, apparently, I think it's a, one of these... Um, unfair dismissals tribunals that's not going on at the moment um, where uh, she was asked a very inappropriate question about being pregnant. Uh, it's something along the lines of, you know, when are you coming back kind of a thing. That, that seemed to be an absolute no-no for women, clearly. Is, is that the kind of stuff that needs to be got rid of? Do you know what I would say, Neil? I, you know, for me, it's about common sense. Um, most of the time in terms of what's appropriate, you know, communication, I would say, and that tone of communication, you know, command and control style of leadership through, you know, remote working is people's green lights still on, you know, what level of productivity and, you know, there's lots of research from some of the 
the big companies out there. Uh, one in particular, I have to say that I've certainly been watching. They actually they were so productive during. Um, COVID, uh, it's a company called Mason Alexander, they actually started to work a four-day week. <laughs> what, lo- longer hours on the four days? Um, I, I, you know, I couldn't say, Neil, whether they were working longer hours, but they were basically able to complete their work, you know, the CEO. Oh, no, maybe um, not. Maybe, maybe, maybe four days because the productivity in the home was higher. His staff okay. turnover, you know, is... There, there, there's a level of loyalty there, you know, and there's an understanding in terms of but you don't, know, work but, balance. But uh, the other side to that, though, is don't you have managers and companies who are monitoring the movements, checking the logging on time, checking the mouse movements at home, all that? Like, that's. Yes. Is that acceptable? I personally think if you've got mistrust in your employees, first of all, you don't have the right people, Neil, working for you. You know, I think adults expectation and you know my take on it if, if if somebody is dropping the kids to school in the morning you know adults are adults and they understand if they understand their job role they understand what's expected of them on a day-to-day basis they'll be very well aware of their own productivity yeah but i'm talking about an, an employer or a manager who just expects his staff or her staff to be slackers you see that's the wrong attitude to have isn't it it is the wrong attitude and i would ask you know where was their train of thought? Yeah. Where did they inherit that from? And, and like I've worked, Neil, in toxic environments myself, you know, and what I would say is the younger generation are smarter. You and I didn't have glass doors, so we couldn't research companies before we decided, I want to work for this company. Now yeah. they do, yeah. Now they do, so they can look at culture. They can look, you know, is it a toxic environment in there? Is there progression within the role they're all of the questions you know certainly that they're they're asking can I ask you, know, you an honest they, can I ask you an honest question you know when, when somebody hits maybe late 40s early 50s mid 50s um, are they an absolute no-no at that stage to employees you talk about people who want to retrain or change their skills or change their career path but the best will in the world they might decide to do that but they're invisible to the employer because they're 50-ish I would disagree, Neil. I would mentor an awful lot of people, you know, and sometimes people think when you're going through a midlife crisis, you know, in your your mid-40s. But you know what? That's very much that catalyst within that individual that maybe their parents or their grandparents drove them into the wrong profession. And it's just not fulfilling. When I know that, I'm not talking about it from that aspect. I'm saying the employer wants, oh, no, we're looking. They won't say it, but they're looking for somewhere younger. They're looking for someone they can mould. They don't want someone who's mature, set in their ways. Perhaps they might even look at them as being... For me, Neil, we can have all of the degrees and we can go back and we can upskill ourselves and we can, you know, have our level seven, level eight, uh, our master's at level nine and all of that. But you know what? That really is only a foundation. Education is only the foundation. Like if I was sitting looking at that particular CV, I would be looking at the experience of life. I'd be looking at the experience. That person will have a lot more on their CV Yep, than somebody that's out of college with a level nine master's and probably yeah. worked in a coffee shop. Yeah. Uh, do, you, do you think then that person, like a personality of the employee is as important as, or maybe more important than college qualifications? 
Uh, I think it's a mixture of both. You know, I think we've got to be realistic. You know, unfortunately, you know, we are at the times that we're in now. No, I know that. You're not going to have a brain surgeon who never qualified as a brain surgeon with a good personality. I know that. But... That it's the person, really, isn't it? That's that's what you're looking at. Oh, absolutely. At. You know, and certainly when I interview people, Neil, I'm looking at their fit. I'm looking at their personality. I'm looking at the values that they have. And I'm looking at the, 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 the values that I have in a company that obviously I'm looking at their fit. Will they fit? Yeah. Yeah. With, the, with the values. So, you know, my advice to young people would be to, you know, certainly Zoom is a little bit more difficult in terms of, uh, you know, but presentation skills are absolutely everything. Make sure you've no cats or dogs jumping around in the back room. You know, you have a blank a blank wall, nothing that's there distracting. You know, arrive looking sharp, even though you're not meeting them face to face, suit, shirt, tie, you know, be presentable. Who You've wears a tie anymore, Ashling? <laughs> You've got to be presentable. You know, and and, and you you've an opportunity for forty minutes, sometimes only fifteen, twenty, Neil, to be the best version of you like I always prep people and I give them 15 questions Neil I know only maybe five six questions come up out of those 15 I make them go away and I make them write down the answers to all of those questions what are, they, do, are they trick questions that are there to kind of no, try and trip you up they're you know they're all very basic questions you know based around competency framework so some of them will be personal questions tell me a little bit about yourself you know and that's your opportunity to sell yourself you know at that stage you're selling your skill set and it's so important to read the job spec another area neil that certainly a lot of candidates that I would deal with really, you know, they read a job spec and they just see a salary band on it. Yeah, I can do that. You know, without reading it, without studying it, going back to their own CV and actually saying, well, actually, first of all, do I tick the academic requirements on that? I know. Do I have the skill set? Yeah. Do I have the experience? So it's very important because they're all of the things that you're selling um, within that window uh, with that short remember, time. I remember, somebody, I remember somebody hiring years ago. This was in the old days when there were face-to-face interviews and she was telling me that an interview candidate arrived with a um, um, uh, cup of coffee that she got in the local deli, uh, arrived in, sat down, um, two or three minutes into the interview, her mobile phone went off, she took it out of her bag, she answered it, she had a 60 or a 90 second conversation with whoever it was and said, oh, I I have to go now, I'm just, I'm with someone at the moment. But she didn't get the job clearly, in fact, she was never going to get the job the minute she answered the phone. So that's something you would like, I mean... Maybe that's one of the more bizarre examples of people not being prepped or clued in for an interview, right? Absolutely. And people just take it for granted. You know, they feel confident and competent going in there, you know, but you, you've, you've 20 to 40 minutes to be the best version of you and you have to go in and be prepared it's you know prepare the same way you will prepare for an assignment or or an exam you know and an awful lot of people yet they'd sit there oh no i'd be fine i'd be well able to answer that question i make them go away and i'll say answer all of those 15 questions and email it back to me and and we might work two or three sessions like to get it right until i feel that they're comfortable and they're fluid uh you know in terms of that level. But of what, what about just, I won't keep you much longer, but what about the CV? Are there any tips to make your CV stand out from somebody else who has the same qualifications as you, the same experience as you? What are the, give us a couple of nuggets. Are there any? 
Yeah, absolutely, uh, Neil. I, when I read a CV, I'm looking for a personality. So I'm looking for a narrative, a little bit of a narrative around the character. Because again, you know, you might receive 100 CVs and yes, they all tick the academic qualifications. I'm looking for personality. Who is this person? Can I get a feel? I would always have a, a, you know, an introductory paragraph at the top of your CV, like who you are, what you do and what, you know, what, you, what you've achieved. I'm getting the impression that you're saying the resume should be more conversational style, should it? Absolutely. You know, it Not has formal. to have, obviously. No, it has to have all of your, obviously, your work experience. Ah, yeah, down along, your, maybe. Your education. And, yeah, absolutely, all of that. But for me, skill set. So, like, it really must be concise, precise. You know, it, it must have clarity. You know, and, and for me, Neil, I see it all the time. People send CVs. They don't check spelling. They don't check grammar. Oh, and it's the yeah. first thing somebody at the other yeah. side see. They will see it. Um, you know, and straight away, I, 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 I pop it down. You know, for me, if you haven't got the attention in detail, you know, for me, I'm thinking about them sending out correspondence. How would they operate or how would they proof, you know, an email that's going out to some important client or whatever. So absolutely. With spelling mistake, yeah, grammatical errors. But a lot of resumes then have these, these buzzwords in them like team player or work well, well under pressure. They're kind of overused Organize terms. Organise the workload, prioritise the workload. Yeah. Uh, we see it and we do, and in fairness, an awful lot of people, Neil, you know, when you look at some of the, the big, big recruitment um, online formats, and again, they pick up CVs by SEO. So from an SEO perspective... What does that mean? You know... Well, they'd be looking for keywords in there. So it's very important that in terms of your skill set... You mean that again, the resume is, sca- is scanned by software first, looking yes. for keywords to get you shortlisted? Yep. Oh, Absolutely, like with some of the big companies there. So it's really important. And this is what I would say, Neil, to any candidate out there. Never be afraid of a career change. You know, you just have to know exactly, you know, do I need to upskill? Do I need to go back to third level education? It's never too late. Follow that dream. But I, my advice to parents out there, Neil, I'm, I have a 16-year-old and he's going to be embarking upon the leave insert. You know, and it's okay not to be academic and we need to start looking at... Oh my God, I've been saying that for years about the trades. Trades are... Right? Tradesman or woman now can just name their own price. Neil, I, I, this is no word of a lie. I'm working on a project. I'm in a... Uh, it's called Academia here. And it's with hairdressing. It's an educational facility for uh, training hairdressers all over Ireland. It's a purpose-built academy. And my goodness, this week, what I have learned, (laughs) my perception about hairdressers and their training, Neil, has greatly changed. Um, Just because we're creative and we don't work in an office environment, you know, we need to change that stigma. You know, if, if parents need to come down off that, you know, academic... Push your children into a career. Yeah, that yeah. it's not about my about Johnny the doctor, you know, no, or my Mary no, the doctor, no, no, no. Johnny the engineer anymore. Shouldn't be. Yeah, and you're it right. Starts with, it starts with parenting. We have created that expectation. 
you know, and it's great to see that Simon Harris now is bringing in apprenticeships into the CAO. And at least that these highly qualified people now will be recognised the same way as somebody goes and gets a level eight business degree. Yeah. Just finally, good news. I, I will let you go because I know you're under pressure. But good news about pension age, isn't it? That people literally won't be first forced to work longer if they don't choose to. That's another change that probably came about because of COVID, yeah? Absolutely. You know, and I think the older generation keep us grounded. You know, they keep it real. We Technology, you know, all we see is technology, systems and processes. How can we streamline that? How can we make it more efficient? You know, and sometimes when you connect with that older generation, they remind you it's not about technology. It is about people. That's a great way to finish. It's all about people. Ashling, thank you so much for taking the time. Thank I do you, appreciate Neil. it. Not at all. Look after yourself. Ashling Holly Lads is with careerclinics.ie. You can check her out online, careerclinics.ie. Back after 11. New year, new number for Neil. 0818-104-106. A lot of emails and texts, of course, from yesterday's program um, with regards to uh, John, who was saying that all too often any system that's put in place, I'm paraphrasing what he's saying, uh, can be open to um, abuse. Um, and that also included diagnosis for children on the autistic spectrum. Um, a lot of text on that. Yes, people are abusing the system and will go to any lengths to get a diagnosis. They know exactly where to go privately to get a diagnosis. My wife works with special needs and said there are children in units that are well able for mainstream school, but because of parents getting money for kids' diagnosis, they are not in mainstream school. Unfortunately, the system is broken. And yes, some of this is down to greed. Others are suggesting that it is impossible to rig a diagnosis because the length of time it takes to get it and the questions that you were asked and the forms like Rebecca, thank you. She sent me um, the forms that need to be filled out for a domiciliary care allowance. And it is pages and pages of questions. And it really drills into uh, the child that mount a question I mean it goes on to firstly it asks you it's a means test so it asks you all your details then it asks you regards salary and, and savings and everything like that before it ever starts to talk about um, the child uh, then it asks where the child is living and you know um, uh, what, what kind of financial debt that you're in as a family you have to give the names of the financial institutions and then it starts asking questions about the child and there's at least 20 pages on that alone and you have to take all sorts of boxes, all sorts of ones. In real detail now, down to whether or not the child can manage buttons and zips or whether or not the child can wash their own hands. I mean, it's just so, so detailed. It'll take you a long, long time. You wouldn't be knocking this questionnaire out in 20 minutes or half an hour. Uh, the diagnostic tools were not there 30 years ago. My son is 20 and I battled for a diagnosis. Autism has always been here, just not diagnosed. And remember, people were just institutionalized. So that text is in response to the question as to why are more children now being diagnosed on the spectrum? Because there weren't diagnostic tools back in the day. They weren't diagnosed and many of the children were just institutionalized. Uh, so there's all that and lots more besides. And I'll, I'll take some time out to um, uh, to read through more of those throughout the course uh, of uh, the next day or two. Maybe even some before uh, I get off the air today at midday. Can I just also say that recently we've been talking about, actually following up on, on Ashling Holly, sometimes changing your career because of COVID or reassessing your life could also involve maybe deciding to start up your own business. Uh, and I was inviting people on Instagram to get in touch with me uh, to share stories if they had started up their own business. 
because of the last two years. Big response to it. Here's another few from my Instagram page. You should please maybe get a chance to give my fiance a shout out on her startup. She started a new business in 2020. The name of the business is Simply Baked. She bakes scones and a variety of cakes. And she's at Wilton on Tuesdays, Ballancolic on Wednesdays, Bishopstown on Thursdays, and the Farmer's Market as well. And also supplies a few local coffee trucks. The business has seen a lot of growth over the last two years during the pandemic. Unfortunately, my waistline has also experienced growth. You should pop by for a cake someday and tell her I sent you. You'll get a discount. And that is uh, David telling me all about uh, a new business that his uh, partner has set up. Well done. Um, One more. Started a business called FC Detailing. What we do is we bring any types of vehicles such as trucks, bikes, cars, vans, boats back to factory condition inside and out. Uh, We clean vehicles, do a lot of exterior paint work, remove swirls and scratches from paint, leaving it better than showroom condition by the time we're finished with it. We also believe on protection. We put ceramic coatings to protect the paint, the wheels, the glass, the leather, the fabrics for 12 months to nine years. We started up in beautiful West Cork and Bandon right at the start of the pandemic going through road closures and lockdowns. And we're still standing and have six certificates growing Uh, to give the best service to the people of Cork. So that's a company called FC Detailing in Bandon. And a final one then, just a quick one here, just before I get back to phone calls. Uh, My sister set up a mobile dressing clinic. She specializes in wound care. She calls to your house, um, keeping people out of hospitals because there are high numbers there. This is her area of expertise and she loves her job. She's in work, uh, so I said I'd promote it for her. So thank you for doing that, Orla, on behalf of your sister. That's called the dressing clinic. You might be in the need of mobile dressing clinic to come and uh, deal with a wound or change the dressing in the home. And you can follow all of these people that I'm telling you about on Instagram. Back after the break. Text The Neil Prenderville Show now. 086-8104-106. Red FM. And also, Michelle got in touch with me on my own Instagram page. She had a very interesting story to share about her own business startup. So I asked her to come on air. We'd have a chat about it. And she has. Michelle Kelly. Michelle, good morning. Good morning, Neil. How are you? I'm well. So you trained as a midwife and have now turned to maternity nurse and started this in the UK, I believe. Was it for like a decade or something? That's right. Yeah, it's actually 20 years ago. I went over to London. I was a student midwife in Middlesex University. And uh, one of the girls sitting next to me one day, she said that I could earn extra cash by looking after uh, newborns at night for tired parents in London. So I got on the tube the next day. I went down to Chelsea to an agency down there, a nanny agency. And I signed up and I had already delivered a few babies as a student. So I was, you know, I was familiar with babies and uh, they got me a job in, I remember my first job ever in North London 20 years ago, little boy, she's probably 20 now. And um, I got to the house around nine in the evening and the parents went straight to sleep. They were exhausted and I looked after the baby overnight and gave the baby back to the parents in the morning. And yeah, that um, was it. I was this, was this it. the domain of the rich and famous who could afford to do that or what? Um, I did work for the rich and famous and I did work for um, a few pop stars and stuff, but it was... Pop stars, actors and actresses and uh, princes, and prince, princes and princesses, I believe, was it? Well, I'll tell you that story quickly. I got a call from the agency one day and they said that there was a lady, we call her Lucy, 
Um, she was in a flat in Kensington. I got to the flat. It was no more a flat now anyway. It was stunning three-story place. But yeah. anyway, I got to this place and I worked with this lady, Lucy, for a few nights. And anyway, one night um, I got there early. She wanted to go out. So I got there early and the day nanny was there. And the day nanny and I, we put the baby to bed and we were having a chat and we were chatting for two hours anyway, myself and the day nanny. And she was talking about a palace. And I said, what do you keep talking about a palace for? And she said, oh, we live in a palace. We only come over, you know, Lucy only came over to London to have the baby in the Portland. We actually all live in, in a palace in Kuwait. She said, you didn't know Lucy was a princess? <laughs> I said, goodness. But Lucy doesn't. Lu- ever told me that. But does Lucy not ever rear her own child? She's got a day nanny and a night nanny. When does she actually bond with her son? <laughs> do you know what I mean? Okay, uh, yeah, the, re- the real rich and famous do have a lot of staff. I, you know, I work for a lot of clients that would have day nannies, weekend nannies, night nannies and obviously chefs and cleaners and personal trainers. They're burnt out, is this? They're just burnt out from their job then? Well, no. Well, like, a lot of these mothers did not work. (laughs) It was just, I suppose, a trend to have a nightmare coming. It was a trend. It was a fashion, like a fashion accessory that one must have. (laughs) Yes. But this is that's the celebrity celebrity side of it, and I was very lucky, and I was taken to villas in France and New York and everywhere. But seventy five percent of my clients were tired parents, normal like me and you, exhausted that just needed that night's sleep. It was the twenty five percent that I love talking about because I was luck, lucky to work for such amazing people. You know, oh, the rich and famous, um, but that's not the yeah, real world. Like, of course, most of your business is dealing with the people living in the real world. So what time would you be clocking in? Would it be at 7 o'clock at night, 8 o'clock, 9 o'clock? What? Does it vary? Normally, yeah. Normally I'd start at 9 in the evening and once the parents get to know me, they would literally be at the front door, no joke, with the baby in their arms and they would hand me the baby and... (laughs) <laughs> they say Michelle's here. We can, you know, we can watch TV now. <laughs> Michelle's at the door, and um, I like that. I would just look after the babies. It was my own all night. If if they breastfed, I'd give the baby express breast milk, formula fed, formula feeding. You know, I'd swaddle the baby, win the baby. I absolutely adored it. And then they'd have me a few nights a week, and then. At around three months then, I'd have the baby into a little gentle routine and I'd have the baby settle for them. So all my jobs would end at three months and then I'd be booked up again for another three months. And actually in between the three-month bookings, I'd go off to Tenerife for myself to uh, recharge my batteries because I used to be tired as well. And um, I used to actually get my hair cut with your pal Sean Wren because the apartment I used to stay in in Tenerife... Tenerife. He was working part-time as a hairdresser uh, in the salon next door. He won't remember me now, but I used to be telling him all my stories about the rich and famous. So, yeah, I used to go over to Seanland for the haircut in Tenerife, and then I'd be booked out again, and I ended up getting booked out for, must have been, 10 or 12 years. My name just got passed around. And how did you, how did you rear, I mean, these are 12-hour shifts, I assume, but how, like, 10-hour anyway. How did you rear your own children amongst them twins? Okay, so I was single at the time. This is all the London lavish lifestyle now with yachts and everything. Back to Ballincollig when I <laughs> when I came back to Ballincollig, um, yeah, everybody said to me, "Oh, you won't get this line of work here." And I thought, "Well, look, I'll see." And I worked for a few nursing agencies for a while. Then I had Matthew, my little boy, and then I ended up having twin girls. So he was only seventeen months old, and I had twin girls. And um, my partner was fantastic, Michael. He's amazing, but. 
he was actually farming at the time. So I was living in Ballincollig with the three babies and he was farming out in Dripsy on the farm and building a house for us, by the way. So he was extremely busy. So I was on my own a lot of the time and I would have loved, loved somebody to come in one morning a week or a night or whatever and give me that break, you know. And that's when I think the seed was planted in my head back in 2017 that there should be a service maybe in Cork for the Cork mammies and yeah. daddies who are tired. And, to, to, yeah. and those Cork mammies, because I'm actually quoting you here now, what is involved was me going to their homes for a few hours in the morning or the evening. Some mums would literally be waiting for me at the front door and they'd really appreciate the luxury of being able to go off on their own with just a purse and not a buggy or a nappy bag and all the rest of it. They might be going to a yoga class, getting their nails done. Um, are they the rich and famous or is that a typical client? No, so I'm back in Cork now and I have my three kids and they're in school and I'm I'm living in Dripsy now and I I work for normal people. Normal who are just people, exhausted. thank you, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> they are just uh, absolutely exhausted. I, am, I started the business in April and I've been lucky to be fully booked ever since. I did a lot of nights and now the Irish mammies are standing at the door with the babies too. <laughs> <laughs> Don't get me wrong. Um, but yeah, I just do one or two nights a week so they get that night's sleep, you know, and they feel much better the next day and everybody's happy. And I do mornings now at the moment. I'm trialling the mornings and um, like that, the mother can just leave the house. When I get there in the morning, I get there around 10, drop my kids to school, get there at 10, and they can just leave the house like that with their purse and their mobile phone, and there's no baby and no car seat and no baby bag and no bungella, no nappies and no pseudo cream. They can just leave and go, like I said, go shopping, get their nails done. Some of them go up to sleep for the three hours. And cause a I to decent get my own kids in. nights and or yeah, sleep, so whatever, the day or night. So I, 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 I hate asking, but is it, is it an expensive service? I mean, it can be expensive, but it's only short term. So you might have me, you know, two or three nights a week for a few weeks and then you'll never see me again yeah. because I'll get the baby into a little routine and I'll, if the baby has digestive issues, you know, colic and reflux and cosmic protein allergy, I can, I've loads of experience with all that as well. So I can guide you with all that. So it can be expensive, but it's just short term. And I have all different packages. I've, like I said, nighttime packages and day packages. And if anybody wants, wants me, I'm on Instagram, maternity nurse Cork or email is maternitynursecork at gmail.com so I can, yeah, I can tell you more. And is it just you or did you bring in other maternity nurses with you or other midwives? just me. Do you think you'll reach a point where you'll have to have more? I think so, yeah. I really do, yeah. Even this week for some reason, and I didn't really advertise, I'm actually getting loads of inquiries for days. Um, Two couples had twins, or three, I got three emails and they all had twins and... Yeah, I've got a mixture of emails this week. I don't know where they've come from. And do you ever think so, about society and how it's changing that your services are required at all? Do you know, I think it's the women having their babies maybe later on in life, like myself. I was 40 having Matthew, like. And I think when you're older having the baby, maybe your parents are no longer alive or your parents are too old. Now, I'm very lucky. Um, Matthew's, all Matthew's grandparents are alive, so we, we, we do have support. Yeah. But a lot of people are having babies later and the parents might not be you know, able to look after. Yeah. People are terrified loads to look of after different newborns. Reasons, I suppose, yeah. 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 yeah, but people are afraid to hold newborns and look after them. I think the not to six months, people are just afraid to look after small, tiny babies, you yeah. know, and that, yeah. that's where I come in then, yeah. you know. Well, you've found your niche, haven't you? I absolutely adore it. It's the only job I've ever loved this much. I really love it, yeah. I and do. if people want to get in touch, is that through Instagram or what? Yeah, I mean, my email address is maternitynursecork at gmail.com and 
I get all my bookings from Instagram for some reason. Yeah, maternity nurse Cork on Instagram. That seems to be where I get. I'm always on there chatting. You see, <laughs> I'm always on my stories chatting about nothing else but babies. All right, so that's okay. where to find me. Yeah. Well, you found your passion. Good luck with it. It's good to chat. Thanks so much, Thanks Michelle. Good luck with it. Take care. Thanks very much indeed. All the best. Anybody else that's going through uh, changes in career, setting up your own business, do let me know because you get these nuggets and these great stories out of it. And uh, just do that on my own Instagram page if you don't mind. Instagram is the way to go for that one. Back after the break. Calling Red FM Studio? Call the new number. 0818 There's one or two more from Instagram. Speaking of startups, I started working in management for a company started during COVID. We're called iTrolley. We sell groceries in bulk, but soon we'll be selling fridges, electrical, bathroom stuff, and much more. You should try it out. iTrolley.ie. Have a great day, says Norb. Fair play to you. Another person set up a business making homemade products, candles, wax melts, soaps, lip balms, scrubs, and bath bombs. Been very interested in natural products for myself and my family. So now I've decided to make a business out of my hobby. And well done on that one. Fair play to you. And this one I like also. I just heard you saying giving new businesses a plug that came through COVID. Uh, it's for my husband's business. He's an online coach for fitness, mindset, life coaching. He left the role as a sniper sergeant in the Irish Army uh, with three years before his pension. But he wasn't fulfilled there anymore. And this has changed his life. Imagine that. He was a sniper sergeant in the Irish Army and left three years before pension. So he's built up a client base and it's a fantastic job. He's able to help people all around. People love it and they don't want to leave. His Instagram page is built to lead. Built to lead. Thank you for that, Roseanne. Another great story. A guy who was a sniper in the army and struck out on his own. So keep those coming on my Instagram page and I'll do some more of those shout outs over the next couple of days. An awful lot of people went out and started up during COVID and that's what Ashling was talking about. The challenges of COVID for some were positive in the sense that they changed career paths. Um, if you don't mind, I would like to look back again actually because back in March of 2020 on air, I spoke to Rachel and she and her partner were desperate at the time, like many people are, and nothing has changed in that regard, to find accommodation. But they were looking for temporary accommodation because their premature baby boy, Grayson, was fighting for his life at the time. And there was a lot of travelling for them to and from, I think it was Clonmel, if I remember, down to Cork and back as Grayson fought for his life. So thanks to you guys, the phone lids, the phone lines lit up and they were flooded with people offering to help uh, Rachel and the family. And they did indeed have a place to stay for free for as long as they needed. So that was in March of, of 2020. But I just want to play you a couple of minutes of that conversation uh, back in the day. Because um, this as it was happening. And of course, remember, they were going through the trauma of um, how ill Grayson was and hoping that he'd pull through. Rachel, good morning. Hi, Neil. How How's you? your little Baba Grayson? He's in Cork University Hospital. Okay. How long is he? He's never come out since the birth, is it? No. Okay. No. How long no. ago was that? The, uh, 13 weeks, 26th right. December. Okay. Grayson was born at 26 weeks. Um, he suffered some setbacks, including some paralysis, I believe. Is that right? Yeah, they kind of have sedation because he's a big boy and he'd fight off everything around him. <laughs> yeah, okay, okay. But at 26 weeks, he obviously would have been an incubator for quite a long period of time, yeah? Oh, yeah, yeah. He went through his heavy hurdle he could find. He went through it. So he's, he's, he was very good now the past kind of month and they were happy to send him home. And then just randomly Thursday took a turn for the worse. So now we're just up in the air and we don't know what our next move is, you know. They're kind of going hour to hour with him all the same. 
the questions I'm asking, they can't really answer them for me. You know, they're kind of trying to turn down the ventilation every time they do. He's, he's not kind of doing it by himself like he should, you know. So he's relying on the ventilator right now um, to keep breathing. You live in Clonmel, but you have yeah. n- you have nowhere to live. Is that why is that? Uh, well, we were staying in Brew Columbanus in Cork, just down the road from the hospital, and we were blessed with it the past thirteen weeks. Um, but now, due to everything going on, they've closed down today. So we're considering driving up and down, but it's just you know that that'd be a nightmare this time. It, I'd hate to be away. Can you can you go in and out to Grayson in the CUH? We could up until about two weeks ago when they stopped the dads going in. Um, but the past two days, they allowed him to go in in the circumstances. Um, we're kind of just trying to find somewhere if we can. Well, listen, let's see if we can get you sorted. I'd be surprised if we didn't. People are very kind. Who knows for how long it will be, but we could be talking about some weeks anyway. Yeah, definitely right. a few okay. weeks, they say. Okay, stay by your phone then, Rachel, and we'll see what we can do okay. for you, all right? Apparently that did work out in that regard. And uh, Rachel was back onto us over the past few days, just wanting to update. And I always love going back to stories to see how they develop. Rachel, good morning. Hi, Neil. How are you? I'm Grant. And let's, let's remember, actually, March 2020 was the real unknown. That was the fearful time. Right. COVID had just arrived. Nobody was knowing how bad it was going to be. They were anticipating the worst and of course, mm-hmm. along came Grayson 14 weeks early. Wasn't that it? Yes, yes, yeah, yeah. He just had to throw himself into the mix. Yeah. <laughs> and he he's diagnosed since with cerebral palsy. Am I right? Yes. Yeah. yeah okay. He is. Okay. So that must have come as a bombshell to you, did it? It did because he didn't have it when he was born. It was as a result of that night when he got very ill when I was last speaking to you um, when he needs to be resuscitated for a long time he got brain damage from that so it, it's, it, it wasn't something we ever knew about until then you know but at the time you don't care as long as he survived I know, he did, I know. You know I know. and you found somewhere to stay for those months did you? We did. We found a lovely apartment given to us by a lovely lady called Lillian um, that we're forever grateful to because we were just around the corner from Grayson and it was actually a fabulous apartment. So it was lovely to have the bit of, you know, luxury as well when you're going through such a hard time. Did she give you that a reduced rent that was affordable and everything? She gave it to us for free. She was so good. (laughs) That's amazing. Isn't that incredible? You know, you know, those people are so good to help. And we got Isn't so many offers of people saying, if you want a dinner, we'll drop you up dinners. And you know what I mean? Just people were so good. So you and Valentine um, were much, much closer then to Grayson for the period. Yes, and yes. how long was it before he came home back to Cl- when you went back to Clonmel? So that was March and he came back to Clonmel in eight, uh, May. Yeah. May. And how's it been months. since? Just update us. Because at one stage yes. he's on a ventilator. He had a, yes. is it a tracheostomy, I think, to help him yeah. to breathe? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. So it's touch so, and go, but how, how did, he, did he come on or how is he? Yeah, you know what? He fought back. He came back with a bang. and um, But his cerebral palsy was very, you know, it was very noticeable after that offence and his breathing difficulties were very noticeable. So he had to get an... Um, a tracheostomy in Crumlin Hospital and we were another six months up there. Um, so we're only home 
January last year. So we did a good guts of a year between Cork and Crumlin in hospitals and then we're home now just over a year. And he's he's doing he's doing amazing, Neil. Oh my god, he's you know, better than what we'd ever think, you know, because you're you're told so much and you're given a bit of hope and then you're given no hope and it's it's a whirlwind it's massive I know but I'm sure he's the light of your life I've some lovely (laughs) photographs actually one of them is the three of you in your matching Christmas (laughs) pyjamas oh that's great it was it was our first Christmas home and his first birthday at home he just turned two in December so um, I, we have to do the matching pajamas. Like he's got more than one. Actually, he's got he's, he's got a red set and then he's got a green set. <laughs> oh, he's the most spoiled boy. Oh, he's, he's he's great. He's he's a great boy. Look at the earlier photographs from nearly two years yeah. ago, and he's the size of a pigeon, like tiny little fellow, all covered in yeah. wires and cables and yeah, sticky on yeah. stuff. Yeah, oh, you know, so he's. It, I mean, his struggle never stopped, really. You know, I mean, he, he still had hit after hit, even after that, since he's been oh, born. Oh, for God's sake, he got COVID, you know? didn't he? Yes, he got COVID last November. Oh, and he was back in on a ventilator again? Yes, yeah, he was critical up in Temple Street. Rachel, yeah, Rachel. I know, I know. It's just one thing after the other with this boy. I know, So I know. <laughs> He's, he's uh, not good for my blood pressure, tell you that. But he's going to move on now to speech and language therapy and maybe some motor skills and things, hopefully. Yes, yeah. He has great therapists involved. You know, they come see him weekly. He's a physiotherapist, an occupational therapist, speech and language therapist. He just has everything. I'm glad you're getting all the services, Rachel. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, Where where will he be then with, say, a creche or play school or things like that with other maybe like-minded kids, perhaps? So hopefully in September he's going to go to a play school in Clamel, um for kids with disabilities like himself. So that would be amazing for him. I love, um, I love it. I love hearing back yeah. from stories because you have the story <laughs> on the air. It gets so far, falls off a cliff, and you move on. It's brilliant to yes. go back. He's going to have a big birthday now. Um, well, he had the birthday. I was going to a big anniversary in March, I suppose, won't he? Yes. Remembering those yeah. dark times yeah. and how far he's come. Absolutely. He's a real Absolutely. fighter, isn't he? Absolutely. He's he's unreal. Like, I don't know where I got him from. <laughs> he's unreal. He just takes all in his stride. He fought to he's come in into this world. He's got um, his own issues to deal with, but he's got a great mammy and daddy right by his side. Oh, thank you. Thank you. He's uh, he definitely not had it easy, but he's, he's doing amazing. You know, he just bounces back. Thank God. Well, listen, it's great to catch up with you. It really is, because uh, the people of Cork were so kind two years ago, yes. not knowing even oh. what we were going into, but yet they wanted no. to give her their time, yes. and a woman gave you an apartment free gratis. What was her name, yeah. did you say? Lillian. Lillian. What a lovely, lovely lady. Lillian. did it quietly, discreetly, yes. but she did it yeah. nonetheless. All right. Yes, okay, absolutely. well, listen, happy families to you all, all right? Thank you. Thanks, Neil. Lovely Take chatting care. again. Thanks for coming back, Rachel. Thank it's you. brilliant. Thank no you. problem. All Thanks very best. much. Bye. Bye. Neil's got a new number. Call him now on 0818104106. People struggle in lots of different ways. I was chatting with Gavin about it earlier in the week and I uh, got a lot of texts on it. People describing his life as being very similar to theirs. I can see so many similarities between Gavin, who was on the air with you and myself. That is exactly how I feel now, a dead person walking. I've lost interest in everything. I'm completely emotionless except for crying. I cannot remember the last time I laughed or even smiled. 
my face has probably forgotten what it feel like, feels like to smile. I see people living a normal life and I wonder why did my life turn out like this? It's the same thing day after day after day. Life is certainly not easy or enjoyable anymore. Listen, um, any chance maybe you might take Gavin's phone number because I'm sure he'd have a chat with you. It may well help in one shape or for- some small shape or form. Might be the start of your road to recovery. Text me back if you want his number because I know Gavin would be keen to chat with you just to pick you up a little bit if possible. Another one, that man could be me. Having had a gastric band for years, it failed in the summer and put me in a dark, dark place. I was so sure I could control my eating, but in actual fact, it was the band that was controlling it all the time. So it failed and I rapidly started putting weight on. I was getting totally depressed. Due to me not being heavy enough yet, my health insurance wouldn't cover any cost for a replacement band. In total, it was going to cost me €30,000 for two surgeries. I researched everything, travelled to Estonia for the revision in November. As of this morning, I'm 17 kilos down. I feel great. It takes time to get used to the quirks of the surgery, but it's so worth it. It costs six and a half grand. Uh, the flights cost 200 I now have my life back in my eyes. Being controlled by food will not be my future. And Gavin had a lot of other issues, um, and the other issues then re- resulted in massive weight gain. Um, and then he moved on to a, a gastric sleeve. But there were other psychological battles that he had to fight at the same time. But it's very interesting there because um, I wonder how often do gastric bands fail, you know? Um, that's the first time I've heard of that happening. I mean, is it a thing that potentially could happen because of how it's fitted? Is a wear and tear? Do they perish? Do they burst or, or what? Anyway, a couple of texts on different topics over the last few days and thank you for them. Back to the phone lines we go. Fiona. Good morning, Neil. Good morning. So talking about maternity nurses, you also, um, is this a business that you set up, was it like 10, 13 years ago, I think? Dream Team it's Nannies? Actually, yeah, it's actually 15 years this year, Neil. Of course, this is 2022, me and my mm-hmm. maths. So is, <laughs> is this is this kind of similar that nannies go into the home, is it? It is indeed, yeah. Like I Mary Poppins. A, a big Mary Poppins for that night time. Um, I just actually just caught the end of Michelle's piece yeah, there. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. She was so, doing it with yeah, the rich so, and famous and princes and princesses and movie stars and pop stars in London. It's a bit more grounded in Cork, she says. It's more grounded, yeah. I haven't come across any pop stars or anybody uh, rich and famous yet. Uh, but there's time, there's time. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so yeah, we've been at this um, since 2007. Um, I have a, a, a great team team that work with me um, so we do the same provide night nurses to people who, and tell me why. who just need that support what, when you say need the support why and how well as you know Neil sleep deprivation is used as a form of torture in some countries so and you know in those early days with new babies be it one baby two three four um, things can be tough for a variety of reasons no family support, sleep deprivation, mental health issues maybe. Um, a lot of time we have um, families where dad works abroad and mum doesn't have that support to dad at weekends, whatever. Or it could and be shift and the shifts could be nighttime exactly. shift. And, and it's all very night. well to say, well, there are two partners, the other one should pull their weight. But I suppose that doesn't always work out. Well, that's not always the way. I mean, I know myself, Neil, when I had my own. And the reason I set up Dream Team Nannies was because my second child nearly broke us um, because he was sick and he cried a lot. And, you know, it was just really, really tough. But my husband at the time was a chef in restaurants. 
So, yeah. he, not my husband at the time, because I don't have another husband now. But at <laughs> he, the time, he at he the time was, was a chef. chef. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Um, and like, he'd be gone from early morning until late at night. So for the six or seven hours he was at home, he couldn't be up during the night. You know, it had to be me. Yeah, I know. Um, I know. You I know, know, so it was, yeah, so for a variety of different reasons, Neil. Um, and some people then, you know, they just want a couple of nights sleep a night, a week, and that's okay too. It's so when you, in you come then, you don't fly in on an umbrella or anything. You pull up at the door and they're at the door waiting at the front door to maybe take it. Nearly, running up the stairs with their hot water bottle. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. Or, but but yeah. yeah, I know, I know, I know. But uh, it's it's not a case that they just don't want to do the rearing themselves. That's not, not what this is about. It isn't not about having more money than sense. Sure, it's not, is it? No, no it's not at all. It's yeah. not at all. It's the real I practicalities for, of life. It's the practicalities. Like, I worked for um, a lady who had, a family who had triplets. And I remember her saying to me, once I'd finished with them and once the babies were sleeping through the night, etc., she said, there was weeks, she said, we were really strapped, but that we weren't giving up our night's sleep because yeah. it was the only thing yeah. that, could, that kept us going. So the big barter st- stole for you Absolutely. to be able to... And would... Is there any service then that would just deal with, say, mornings coming in at, you know, you might have a house full of smallies and, you know, you might be, I don't know, Russian or something. Somebody comes in and takes over, gets them up, gets them dressed, gets them the breakfast, takes them to school kind of a service. Well, that's a different service then, Neil. You know, what we do is very specialised. So, you know, the morning or getting them out, going to school, that, that's more a daytime nanny job yeah. or an au pair job. Yeah. Or, or a housekeeper know. might come in, I suppose, if you had the money Exactly, yeah. yeah, yeah. But the nighttime stuff is specialised. You know, that it's specifically nighttime, specifically newborns, up to about six or seven months. Well, would you and your staff need to be specifically trained for that then? All my girls that work with me are all nurses, midwives. Go away. Yeah, yeah. 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 Um, Childcare experts, but the majority are nurses, midwives um, that do nights farming. So they have their training because, again, you know, childcare people who work in childcare are fantastic. I think they do a great job, um, but they wouldn't have that experience of brand new babies, um, of maybe twins, triplets, yeah. whereas midwives, nurses would. They'd have that experience, you know, and that experience is very important um, for parents to feel secure and, you know, that they're confident that their babies are being looked but at. Were you busy? Somebody. Were you still as busy through COVID and all that when people were at home a lot more? Well, because of COVID restrictions, we couldn't go in yeah. a lot of the time, yeah. you know, but as soon as restrictions were easing, then my phone was hopping again. Yeah. And do you and like all, you, do you like all the babies? Love it. Love it. There's no yeah, one that yeah. wrecked your head or just wouldn't stop screaming or just quit no matter what oh, you did. You just oh, well, I can walk away from it at the end of the night. You know, <laughs> I can. Problem, yeah. Seven o'clock, I'm like, they're yours now again. But, but then if it is a screaming baby, you have parents who have slept properly and are more ca- well able to deal with it then during the day. I know what you're saying. Knowing they're getting a night's sleep at the end, they can deal with anything, knowing. That there'll be a night's sleep. At the I didn't. End. I didn't you know, get. A, I didn't get a dollar or a euro figure from Michelle as to the cost of her services. But is there an actual figure that you charge? There's not. Like it. It really does depend on the family. Neil. It depends on whether it's single baby twins, triplets. Obviously, that comes into play if they're living within the city, outside the city. 
Um, but generally, kind of 15 to 18 euros an hour, depending on the There you go. Thank you for nailing an amount, yeah. 15 to 18 an hour, which multiplies up then on the basis of the hours and the children. Of the hours, etc. Yeah. And, um, you know, I'm obviously... The, the girls that I have, they're very well trained. You know, they have all the qualifications, being nurses, etc. But ha- having said that, it is something that I always that I kind of wanted to make more accessible to people. Yeah, I know. It's kind of a job you know, that you need to have a passion for it, like because if you didn't like it, you couldn't do it. You wouldn't. You just... couldn't do it exactly. But I want families to be able to access it. I don't want it to be outside. I know what you're saying. I know. And if they want to, are you are you on Instagram Dream Team Nannies? Is it Dream Team Nannies on Instagram on Facebook? And if anybody wants to contact me. Um, they can come through those channels. Okay. Well, thank um, you for getting in touch with me on my Instagram page. Big response to that. Lots of people. And in your case, of course, you're you're 15 years down the track. But it's a, I was going to call it a novel idea, but it is that too. But it's very necessary. And it's great if people can afford it to be able to do it. It is. And I want, you know, especially mums, I find, I, I, sometimes what happens is mums don't want people to know they're getting the help because they're embarrassed about it. But there's no need to be embarrassed. Mm. Reaching mm. out for help is a good thing. Mm. Without a doubt. You know, there's been so many tragedies, Neil, with mums suffering from postpartum depression, psychosis, etc. It's important that they know it's okay to ask for help. And have you been in situations like that where clearly the mother is struggling? Yes. Yeah, okay. Yes. And you're able to yeah. pick up on that? Obviously, you, have to be, you know, you have to be very sensitive around those. But, you know, people trust me when I go into their homes because they know I've seen so much. Yeah, yeah. Um... And, uh, you know, I can kind of uh, say things without judging or without, you know, and so it's it's just very important, I think, you know, that people know that it's okay. There's nothing wrong with asking for help. There's nothing wrong and with that's asking a, that's for And that's the big, one of the big messages of the last few years, yeah, to reach out, to share, to ask for help or to say that you're not feeling great. Good luck with the Fiona, to you and your team, Dream Team Nannies on Instagram. Thanks for getting in touch. Appreciate it. Thanks, Cheers. Thanks a million, Neil. Thank okay, you. take care of yourself. All right. Um, um, it isn't all women that have set up their own businesses. I've read up a lot of emails or, should I say, Instagram posts from men who have also struck out on their own. But some of the quirkier ones happen to be uh, jobs that women have decided to set up online themselves and strike off. And certainly that was the case with Linda de Blasi. Now, to begin with, she's got an awesome name. An awesome name. Wondering where that came from. She joins me by phone. Linda, good morning. Hi, Neil. Thanks very much for giving me the opportunity, Neil, to come on your show. Okay, so is de Blasi Italian? Yeah, my husband is half Italian. His mother is Irish and his father's Italian. Okay, so... This was it. You said was a bit of a slow burner because of of COVID. Did you open it and start it during COVID? I started on Instagram in July just by putting up my own posts, photographs, reels, um, and then I just find like found with COVID, I wasn't being. Um, I suppose people weren't inviting other people into their houses that time. But since January, it's really taking off. Because you're a, okay, I, I know you're a stylist. I've looked at some of the reels and it's you changing clothing and telling people, showing people how to mix and match stuff that they might never have worn and possibly thrown out or recycled. But you also do a wardrobe detox. Now that really interests me. So you, w- what does that involve? Wardrobe detoxing. Um, I suppose as well, during the pandemic, we had a lot of time as well to look at the clothes we had um, and a lot of people now want to use their storage efficiently. Um, and I just find as well, down through the years, we have a tendency to hang on to clothes. Oh, tell me about even it. With, yeah. Even with myself, like I had all my work clothes. I was on career break, but I still kept all my work clothes in my wardrobe. 
for when I went back to work. But then, of course, I when I did go back to work, I either bought something different because maybe my body shape had changed. Um, I bet you can't go back. I bet you. I bet you can't go back eighty and ninety eight, two thousand eight, two thousand. I bet you can't go back thirty five years with a jumper. <laughs> no, it's something. <laughs> which I still, which I still wear. And, and if they're very good quality, not particularly. Know, <laughs> <laughs> um, but as I say, we just tend to store things um, in our wardrobe that don't serve us. Our lifestyles might change, but still we hang on to things. Like say, now if we do a lot of walking. But we still mightn't have a lot of walking clothes in our cupboard, but we still have other things from years ago, as I say, work life. And our body goes through different changes. We go through different Yeah, your size changes, yeah, and fashion changes. So do you go in then with a, with a free hand? Somebody does not go into the room when you attack the wardrobe and your word is final? No, like I, the client takes the lead. You know, if they really love a piece, if it makes them feel good, it's just about embracing your body shape. And I would give them tips then on what styles would, shoot, would suit oh, their Oh, I see. Shape. So you could actually tell them that it doesn't suit you? Yeah, again, I would look at their proportions. Um, I would look at their style personality. Um, and then I would give them, okay, for your height, um, you know, this is the style you should be wearing. And it makes a huge difference. You know, again, if you put on something swamped on a small person, if you put on a short jacket, it emphasizes their waist and it emphasizes their legs. So again, it's just about looking your best. And you use point. their existing wardrobe or contents of their wardrobe yeah. to achieve that? We can do. That's yeah. fantastic. But now that is different like, rather than saying, oh, I'm going to take you on a shopping spree. But this is it. Like I went through, you know, I was at home, I was a full-time mom. I didn't have money to constantly buy new things. So again, I get them to look at their wardrobe, maybe adding accessories, adding a belt to cinch in a dress, um, wearing, say, a shirt open. You know, yeah, and again, yeah. adding trending accessories so that you don't have to, you know, buy things. But what I do advise on as well is just maybe having good foundation pieces that you can build on. Things that never go out of fashion. And I think you also give people confidence then, you know. I wonder how many people second guess their clothing choices of a morning, wondering if it's right. They can't necessarily see it themselves, you know, or is that just me? Yeah. No, and I think as well, a lot of people maybe hide under their clothes. You know, or maybe a lot of people, you mightn't want to draw attention to yourself. Yeah. So we go with the safe, we go with black, we go with navy, we go with uh, long items, big items. And because there's an awful lot of emotions as well attached to our dressing, how, we are, how we're perceived. I've got to ask you a question. Do you, do you think that people in shops or in, in fashion shops and people in you know, department stores, do you think they're honest enough with people when they try something on? Or do they just want the sale and tell them they look great when they deep down know they don't? that a fair question? Um, oh, I suppose it depends on the person. You know, I suppose depending on what service do you want to give a good service and the person will come back to you if they buy an item off you and you say, you know what, that really suits you. That person will probably come back to you and come back to your shop and say, I got so many compliments on that. Ah, uh, yeah, you well, know, that's the proof you, in the pudding, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's it. So I suppose it's up to the, it's the person themselves if they want to give a person honest advice, and which I do because if you say to somebody, God, that looks fabulous on you, they probably know themselves that it doesn't, you know, and then they probably mightn't feel confident in it. And they probably know deep down, God, this doesn't suit me. You How know, do you get over I'm, the emotional attachment that people have to lots of their clothes when you really need to detox for them and clutter it, get rid of the clutter and recycle it? And that, is yeah. that a battle? Yeah. I mean, it I often be. try and start, but I always come up with a reason for keeping something. 
Well, that's it. And that's why I think a bit of professional help goes a long way because I find a lot of people are overwhelmed when they open their wardrobe doors and then they might say, do you know what, I'm going to start decluttering. They start decluttering, they get halfway through and they go... You can't find anything in there, so you can't. It's just jammed and rammed with stuff. I mean, you can't wear all this clothes in a calendar year. Is there any kind of hard and fast rule as to how long you should keep something? Is there, say, well, if you haven't worn it in three months, get rid of it? Well, I'd say if you haven't worn it in, um, you know, 12 months, two years... Get rid of it. Get rid of it. Um if it's something that you wear continuously. And you, this is what I try um, and give tips on. Make your wardrobe work for you. You know, you buy a piece, you say, right, how am I going to match this? You know, do I have three items in my wardrobe that I can match this to? So it's about smart buying rather than impulse buying, randomly buying tops, bringing them home and saying, God, that doesn't actually match with anything I have. It gets thrown out. And tell me this, is it, is it this business of yours, the domain of women? Do you only do this for women and their wardrobes? No women and men. Um, what I find with men, you know, they mightn't buy as much as women. Um, and <laughs> but then again, men tend to hang on to a lot of things. Yeah, we do. Yeah. As well. yeah. Like even with you know with work changes um, since the pandemic and since COVID, like say the man might only be going into work maybe two or three days a week. So, you know, is there a need then to keep all the, the formal suits? Here's a question. Yeah, the lot, a, lot, I have a, lot, a lot of suits. What would you say to the fellow that's got like 150 ties? <laughs> I call, call over. We'll arrange a date. Because you must use your storage efficiently. You know, could you use that storage rather than storing 150 ties? You know, put something else in there, you know? so How much does it cost, Linda, your service? You charge by the hour. Yeah. And then I also make up packages. So, like, because the business is made up of two components, one is wardrobe decluttering, one is personal styling, and then I try and tie the two of them in together. Now, some people know their style, and they just say, do you know what, I just have an awful lot of stuff in my wardrobe, I just want a helping hand. But So I can do the services separately. Um, it's therapeutic again, too, isn't it? Your service is therapeutic. <laughs> it's, it's actually empowering. You know, like, when you... And relieving that you can open your wardrobe, you can see what you want, it makes your morning dressing easier or if you get a short notice invite you know like Bridget Jones years ago you're pulling like two drawers yeah, no I never panic. watched that but um, I can but, relate to a lot of what you've told me already so you're on Facebook and Instagram uh, this, yeah. what, what do you call it like declutter with Linda or what's it called uh, it's my uh, Linda so Linda and then it's D-Blasi D-I-B-L-A-S-I personal stylist Good and I you. also have a website Neil if I can give you the, the website address is www dot Linda DiBlasi again D-I-B-L-A-S-I dot com Good luck to you Fair play Thanks for taking the call Linda thanks, Look after thanks yourself Thanks Great story You're more than welcome I want more of those stories actually people who said she set up right in the middle right in the middle uh, of COVID uh, but actually couldn't do a whole lot until restrictions as was were lifted up to recently so that's the service available for you um, yeah I was just telling you because um, you know we were chatting at Christmas time as people would be stuck the likes of me trying to come up with Christmas gifts and all my wife wanted was more slide robes and uh, get slide robes in and change it and I was saying you can't give somebody that as a Christmas present no I did get something else as it happens some, some jewellery but the slide, the slide robes are on their way eventually because there was all sorts of delays some, one company said to me yeah maybe June of next of this year but that was like in October they were saying oh yeah April, May maybe June 
Anyway, there's a company in Cork that actually did rise to the challenge. They're called Dream Robes Fitted Furniture and they're up in Churchfield Avenue. Um, great, great guys. Fantastic workers. Really brilliant. Came in, did the business, building them and they're installing them on Monday in a good price too. So another great Cork business going from strength to strength. Our lines will stay open. Unfortunately, can I just say there was no streaming platforms this morning. It's only come back now. So perhaps there's somebody coming late to the program or clearly wasn't listening at all. But if you would like to listen to everything we did this morning, I imagine without streaming and without online, there was a lot of people in the home couldn't hear this morning. So apologies for that. I certainly noticed it, actually, that it did seem a lot quieter with regards to text and whatever. Anyway, the, the streaming service is back now. So you might want to listen to uh, the podcast or indeed uh, the uh, second play a little later on. But the podcast of the program will go up in what? Is it an hour? An hour, maybe an hour, an hour or so. And apologies for that. Neil Prendeville, the voice of Cork. Weekdays 9 to 12, Cork's Red FM.